Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Dangerous Thoughts here on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. Um, let me know in chat, by the way, if I have a little air conditioner on in the corner, if it's uh, bothering the mic, if the background noise is too much, let me know and I'll get up and turn it off. But uh, welcome. Today is what? Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. Um, like I said, I'm Carter Laren, and you're watching Dangerous Thoughts here on Unsafe Space. Um, Today's agenda is going to be a little bit different. Um, it's a different kind of a show than than I normally do. We're going to walk through Biden's uh, speech at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Uh, we're first going to talk about the status of the culture war, what it is, and the status of it, because I think that context really matters for understanding his speech. Um, so that's all we're going to do today. We're just going to, if you haven't seen his speech, uh, that's fine. You're going to basically, you're going to watch the entire thing with me uh, today. So it should be fun. Um, don't forget to make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. Also, please share this content. Anything you uh, anything you can share really does help us. Um, lots of the topics we cover on this particular show are evergreen topics. So if you're looking some, for something um, specific, just you know, let us know. Maybe we'll find it in an old show or... We'll make it if we need to. Uh, if we need to make it. So, before we get started, I am going to say one thing. Don in chat. Hi, Don. Don said uh, you should have added the little mustache to that. She's talking about the screenshot uh, that we're using uh, from Biden's speech. That's on the thumbnail for this episode. Funny story. Um, I don't know if it's funny, but I thought the same thing. I actually went and I was going to make a version of the entire speech that had instead of the presidential seal on the podium i had copied one of the <laughs> i forget what it's called but like that eagle that uh nazi eagle symbol and i had replaced i replaced it on the podium um, but unfortunately the camera during the speech moved around enough that it got to be a pain to actually in a waste of time to do that uh on the video but i almost did something similar i didn't i didn't put a mustache on him but i almost did that so uh and welcome sean who says uh he or she is psyched to be able to be here live for once. I'm glad to have you. All right. You're, this is a weird show, so you, you picked a weird one. So um, let's just talk about why this speech is important. As, as you guys know, I don't usually talk too much about politics directly, uh, although I think this speech is less really about policy and politics and more about uh, culture and ideas, which is why I think it's important. Um, there's a few reasons I think it's that we should really be talking about it. One is that the style is pretty striking. It struck a nerve with a lot of people uh, for obvious reasons, uh, which you'll see if you haven't seen it before. Um, another reason is the context of the speech. I mean, this was at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Um, the timing uh, was interesting as well. And then obviously the content of the speech. Um, we, I think we should be asking ourselves, what's the goal of the Biden administration here? Um, how are they trying to go about achieving that goal, not just in terms of style, but in terms of content? How do what does um, what does political rhetoric that uh, is just meant to manipulate look like? Um, and interestingly enough, you, you know, people might argue, oh, philosophy doesn't matter. Uh, you know, we should be pragmatic and talk about policy issues and whatever. But whenever Whenever a politician needs to rally people, you'll notice that they can't help but use philosophic language. They can't help but use 
abstract philosophic terms. They don't define them, and that's intentional, but they need to evoke those terms because that people, I think, uh, viscerally understand the value of some of these, even if they can't actually define them. So we're going to go through that. Uh, we're going to go through that speech with this in with that in mind. Um, all right. Here we go. Um, by the way, I've got a I set up today for some reason, which uh, is my own fault. I've got to click tabs over to see chat, so I'm going to check once in a while. If anyone wants to jump in when we're going through some of this, uh, feel free to. But I'm going to stop the video a lot. But before we get to the video, I am going to talk about uh, here the six elements of the culture war that we're in because I, this context matters, and I think I think you need to understand. Uh, at least this is my, you know, this is my analysis of it. So maybe, maybe there's seven, maybe there's five, maybe I'm missing some stuff. But um, we need to understand what's going on um, in the culture war in order to really understand the context of the speech. And here I'm using the word culture as a stand-in for philosophical principles. Um, these are the core ideas that are the foundation of a culture. So... Um, the culture wars aren't about, you know, what kind of food we're going to eat or what kind of art we like or that kind of thing. They're about really core principles uh, that permeate uh, the values that we share in society, our shared values. And predominantly the culture war in America is about, uh, is, is a battle between collectivist ideas and individualist ideas. That, that shouldn't surprise you that I'm saying that because if you watch this show, you hear that all the time. Uh, on the collectivist side, you have uh, by the way, I've just given up on monetization. I'm going to use the word Nazi, and I'm sure we'll get in trouble for that. Uh, on the collectivist side, you've got Nazis, Marxists, like the Soviets and the Nazis, all in one collectivist camp. They're both they're both there. Uh, very minor variations between those two systems. They're not really that different. Um, and on the other side of the culture war, you have um, the individualists, recommend, uh, which is is represented by like the American uh, culture. And when I say the American culture, I mean kind of the founding principles of America that made it unique. And so uh, the first battle here in the culture war involves the role of free will. I'm going to put this back up just so you can see. This is uh, what I'm calling the the idea of intersectional fatalism versus individual agency. Um, how do I do that? This intersectional fatalism versus individual agency. Um, and intersectional fatalism is this idea that your actions your beliefs, your dreams, your hopes, your goals, your disposition, your level of success in life uh, predominantly depends on your group memberships. Uh, of course, the term intersectional is uh, is is a neologism uh, with respect to like Soviet and Nazi era stuff, but um, the idea is very similar. And so it's this idea that your group membership matters. So in, in Nazi Germany, this was predominantly your, uh, your biological, your ethnic group membership uh, because they were racists. In, in Marxist cultures like the Soviet Union, this was a cultural or social group membership. So being a member of the bourgeois or whatever. Um, and of course, Marxists were much more focused on economic class. Nazis much more focused on uh, ethnicity. Uh, today, on that side, on that um, on the side of uh, intersectional fatalism, uh, in America we have the progressives, and they are predominantly they're predominantly um, biological and 
and ethnic essentialists. They that's predominantly how they group uh, memberships. They're just more similar to the Nazis than the Marxists, right? They less less so about economics, more so about ethnic status or ethnic group uh, membership. Um, they do allow for a little bit of free will, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, which does make them a little bit different from the Nazis. But that's kind of the how the progressives look at it. You're, you're, uh, they're on the inter intersectional fatalism side, not on the individual agency side in terms of the role of free will. Of course, the the Enlightenment position, the the uh, American uh, position is. That you have personal choice. You have individual will, and that—that's an this, you have individual agency, right? You're you're not a sum of the groups that to which you belong. You are a an individual who makes your own decisions. And yeah, you might have some influence from other things, but the the prevailing predominant uh, outcomes are based on your your own agency. Um. Okay, so that's that. That's the one one aspect of of today's culture war. The next one, I'll put this just back up so we can see it again, is is in ethics. Uh, in the realm of ethics, it's a battle between social justice. I should, you know, I put the word justice here in quotes intentionally. Social justice versus individual responsibility. Um, and again, on the on the social justice side, there's this idea that you are simply one manifestation, one instance of a group. Um, and that you're in, those groups are, are categorized. They're, they're either victim groups or oppressor groups, but you're in one of those groups. Um, and the alleged sins of other members in that group fall on your head um, because of, as, as a function of your membership into that group. So, um, ethically, you're responsible for the alleged sins of other members in that group. And that can manifest in terms of restitution that's asked for you or, or vengeance taken out upon you or that kind of thing. So again, this is pretty clear with, with Nazism, right? A Jew in Nazi Germany suffered for being Jewish, right? And they were painted as oppressors. I mean, there's, there's, you can, you can hear language about how, you know, they're vile and blah, 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 but, um, they were painted as people exploiting and hurting the German. They were they were ruining the German purity, um, in many ways. That that was the argument, right? So, uh, if you were a Jew in Nazi Germany, you didn't suffer for any particular individual action that you did. You suffered because you were a member of this group, and so you you received that kind of collective judgment. Um, and by the way, the term social justice. Used by here's a quote from uh, the uh, failed painter. He says, uh, "This is a quote on why uh, why he's anti-Semitic." He says, "Because it seems inseparable from the social idea, and we do not believe that there could ever exist a state with lasting inner health if it is not built on internal social justice." And so we have joined forces with this knowledge. Um, totally right up their alley. If you look at the Soviets, obviously they were not uh, as racially focused. They were more fo focused on economics. Um, but similarly, if you are a member of the wrong class, the oppressor, the quote oppressor class, which in, in Soviet Russia was the bourgeois, right? If you were a member of the bourgeois, you would suffer, um, even if you were a child. So not for your individual action, but uh, 
vengeance was taken out or you uh, on you or you were expected to make restitution or whatever belongings were taken whatever you were you were uh quote social justice or justice was extracted from you uh for the alleged sins of the membership uh, your membership uh your other members in your group right and the alleged sins obviously of the bourgeois was being successful that was that was a sin uh, as far as the marxists were concerned and so um, membership in that group was sufficient. Uh, in fact, if you remember when we read Gulag Archipelago, there's a section in it in which uh, the the secret police specifically just say um, when you're questioning someone, it's, the question isn't what what they did or whether they did this thing or that thing. It's are they a member of this this class? Are they a member of the bourgeois class? Because if the answer is yes, then off to the Gulag. All right. So. So that's how that worked in those two cultures in modern progressive culture. Uh, it's a little bit more nuanced. All the 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 idea in of the social justice in the progressive culture is all the quote non-oppressed groups. Um, so those would be the oppressors, but all the non-oppressed groups should provide social and sometimes economic restitution to the oppressed groups, right? So you're expected to um, apologize for membership in the oppressed class right and and go out of your way perhaps give special preference to people in the oppressed class um because you're in that sorry i don't know why if i just said oppressor or oppressed class but you're supposed to apologize for being a member of the oppressor class and and you're supposed to go out of your way to either make restitution or um uh give special treatment and benefits to members of the oppressed class, not based on what you've done or anything that they're doing, but obviously member uh, being a member of the class. The mechanics here in American progressivism are slightly more complex than just the race class thing of uh, Nazism or Marxism. Um, I think the way American progressivism works is there's a baseline classification based on race and ethnicity. Uh, so that's similar to the Nazis, but they superimpose it with a kind of a carrot and stick plan to help the idea propagate to help their ideology propagate and the carrot here is um well if you're in the oppressor class the punishment that you need to suffer for your sins can be mediated if you uh if you demonstrate ideological compliance so self-hating oppressors can get away with maybe just a little bit of restitution or, or whatever um the ones who aren't self-hating the ones who don't accept this they get full vengeance uh, right against them. But the self-hating ones maybe get a stay of execution a little bit. So that's the carrot. And the stick part of progressivism is your your status in the victim group gets revoked if you don't comply with the ideology. You, you become an oppressor uh, because you're channeling the ideas of the oppressors. So that's kind of the that's kind of the, the social justice component of ethics. And that's that side of the culture war. But of course, on the other side is... Uh, the individual responsibility side. And that is, you are responsible for your own actions and only your own actions, right? Uh, you know, the, the kind of a American um, viewpoint on this is, you, you know, you can't punish the son for the sins of the father, right? Everyone's born with a moral clean slate, right? Um, so those are, that's that's the difference between on, on ethics, the social justice versus individual responsibility aspect of the culture war. In terms of sovereignty, uh, let's put this up just again, 
terms of sovereignty, uh, it, we're on number three. Uh, this component of the culture war is really about collective utility versus individual sovereignty. So what I mean by that is collective utility is means that you are a means to an end. And the, that end is, is determined by the collective, by the group, right? So, you know, this is very obvious in, in both Soviet and Nazi cultures, but, you know, Lenin talked about the dictatorship of the proletariat, right? Whatever they wanted, they got the absolute, they were absolute dictators. The, the masses were the dictators. That's what, he, I mean, obviously someone decided that they represented the masses as always needs to happen. Um, but they had ultimate power. They were the dictators. Um, so the, a member of Soviet culture meant that you were a pawn for use by the proletariat in whatever way the proletariat saw fit. So Soviet, there was a lot of indoctrination, indoctrination into the collective way of life. Um, and this wasn't obviously invented by the Soviets. This goes back to Marx. If you look at his, his 10 planks, they're mostly about subordination of the individual to the collective. So that's the collective utility versus individual sovereignty part for Soviets, uh, for Nazis. Um, I mean, there was a moral principle in Nazism that was repeated uh, often, which was public interest before self-interest, right? And so uh, they meant that for economics, just like the Marxists did, but they also meant it for marriage and other things as well. They were, I think, more consistent than the Marxists on, on collectivism and collectivist principles. So that's what you have on one side of the, the culture war. Of course, on the other side of the culture war, um, and I guess I didn't really talk about uh, American progressives, but if you look at how the language is, and you'll see this in Biden's speech a lot, there's a lot of the will of the people, the will of the people. That's stand-in language for uh, dictatorship of the proletariat. It's, it's, it's the same kind of thing as public interest before self-interest, right? It's this, it's this idea that the, the will of the people, the democracy, right? Pure, unadulterated democracy trumps individual rights. Now, of course, the other side of this cultural argument or this cultural uh, divide is a more American idea. And in America, you don't get that kind of collective utility as a value of individuals, but you get the Bill of Rights. Um, you get things like that. You get arguments about, you know, the argument about whether including the Bill of Rights for the founding fathers was not, do people have these rights? Uh, it was agreed that they these rights existed a priori to the, the state and the state's job was to protect them. And the argument was like, well, if we only enumerate these rights, people might think those are the only ones they have, but obviously they have lots more. And like, that was the argument. So, um, and it's not a bill of entitlements from the state, right? It's a, it's a, it's a list of prohibitions on what the collective can do to you, no matter what they vote for, they can't imprint, they can't pass a law to limit your freedom of speech. I mean, that's what that means. No matter what they vote for, they're not allowed to limit your, um, your rights to bear arms, right? Those, the Bill of Rights is is explicitly anti-democratic. It's an it's an anti-democratic uh, uh, set of amendments to the Constitution designed to limit the effects of democracy. Because democracy, of course, isn't the goal. The will of the people isn't the goal. Individual sovereignty is the goal, um, as opposed to this collective utility, right? And 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 I'm sure many of you know the founding fathers were very concerned about the United States devolving into a tyranny of democracy. Okay, so that's the third aspect of the culture. Where the fourth one is is really a disagreement over the nature of truth. On the one side, you have kind of a social epistemology, um, 
And the other side, you have reason. And I know that the side that, that argues for social epistemology, they talk about the science a lot, but it's not science, right? And that there's a distinction there. They, they feel the need to use the language to get legitimacy, but they're not talking about actual reason. Um, and so if you look at this, this is, you know, you see this again in both the Marxists and the Nazis. Um, this is this idea that truth is what the group or the authority representing the group says it is, and dissent is not tolerated here. Um, so obviously both, both the, the Soviets and the Nazis were obsessed with censorship and controlling information. You had state-run media uh, on the Soviet side. Stalin, one of the you know, very common or famous quotes, infamous quotes from Stalin is, is uh, ideas are more powerful than guns. We would not let our enemies have guns. Why would we let them have, why should we let them have ideas, right? That was, that was his view of, of uh, how, how, how thought and speech should be controlled. Obviously, the Nazis had, they built cartels of uh, media and entertainment. They were state-controlled cartels. Uh, they held book burnings. Those book burnings, by the way, were um, culturally supported. It's for students that burned the books, not politicians. Hitler didn't say, like, go burn some books. It was students in universities that decided that was a good idea because that was the, uh, that was the, their, their philosophy on the nature of truth was this social epistemology. Anything that goes against what we're being told, what the consensus is, needs to be eradicated. Uh, and ultimately, obviously, that includes people who go against the consensus. On the other side of that um, is, is basically just reason, right? Where, in America, you have things like the freedom of speech, freedom of press. In America, dissent is allowed. And this is based on the concept that people, you know, reasoning is an individual capacity. Mobs don't reason. A state doesn't reason. Only an individual mind reasons. And America's founded on this idea, this concept that people decide the truth for themselves. They have a reasoning mind. It's theirs to use. And therefore, we need to let uh, speech be unregulated leave press alone and let people reason on their own. Um, but there's also this belief within America that the mob uh, is not omniscient. And and just the will of the mob, uh, which under an, an epistemological system of social epistemology, the will of the mob would be kind of by default truth. That's it would be considered truth. Well, this is what, this is what the mob says and the representatives of the mob speak for the mob or whatever. Therefore, it's true. Uh, obviously, in America, they were very concerned about democracy, and they established a particular type of democracy, a constitutional republic. And, and this system was a means to an end. It was not, the idea wasn't like, oh, democracy is the thing that we need. That's the, that's the value. The value is democracy. No, the value was protecting individual rights. And the, the goal was to come up with a governmental system uh, that would maximize the protection of individual rights. And in the view of the founding fathers, that was a highly restrained form of democracy, a constitutional republic with lots of rules around it that would restrain what the, what the will of the people could do. All right. The next aspect of the culture war here is... is um, in the realm of the nature of human relations. And this is what I'm saying is zero sum versus win-win. Um, in On the left, 
he's got this idea that look, there's finite resources. Uh, therefore, uh, whenever you acquire something, you do so at my expense. Um, this is what leads to the Marxist idea of seizing the means of production, outlawing private trade, right? Your, uh, you know, you get left with force being used to take and redistribute um, assets. Uh, you get force being used to prevent the accumulation of wealth. It's this idea that, again, the factory, where did the factory come from? Marxists don't have an answer for this. Where did the factory come from? I don't know. It was just there. We need to seize it, right? Um, it, it, it's, it's this confusion of the metaphysical with the man-made. It's just there. There's no recognition that value actually comes from the product of human minds. The factory was just a pile of rubble. It was human minds and ingenuity that figured out how to build the factory and that's how the factory existed and everyone is better off for it right um nazis had the same uh ideology i mean economically they were, were marxist i mean they agreed with uh the economics of marx at least um they they killed a lot of the small businesses um so they wanted larger businesses that they could manage um they ownership was kind of nominal it wasn't real uh, they, there's complete control, uh, control by the state over the means of uh, production, basic prices, what to produce, when to produce it, um, what to pay people, like all that. The state controlled all of that. Um, so same same deal. And the results uh, of, of both the Marxist and Nazi systems here, this idea of a zero-sum uh, relationship between humans means that if you don't have uh, if you don't have a win-win, if you don't have mutual benefit, if that's not possible, then everything becomes a contest uh, for which force is kind of justified in their mind. Like, well, um, if if mutual benefit's not going to happen, then whatever you have is at my expense, so I need to beat you over the head in order to take it, right? So it it's used to legitimize the use of force. And the Soviets, well, both the Soviets and the Nazis used this on their own citizens, obviously quite a lot. Um, and they both, they both uh, also used it outside of their countries with military expansion. The Nazi may be more overt often than the Soviets were uh, in supporting Soviet regimes uh, elsewhere, but a little bit the Soviets as well. They both, they both used force um, unabashedly as their means to redistribute. Now, the flip side of that culture war is, hey, um, and, oh, and by the way, maybe we should quickly mention in the U.S. when we're talking about the progressives, that's how they view economics. You can see that's how they view economics all the time, right? It's this idea that, well, um, I, want, I was going to pick on, Be I'm going to pick on Bezos, just put all of your other dislike of Bezos aside for a moment. But they look at someone like Bezos and they say, well, he has money at my expense. Well, that's not true. I mean, except for to the extent that he's in bed with the government. He's not, he's not money at your expense, right? When someone's successful, they didn't, and they make a dollar, right? There's this phrase in American culture to make money. They make a dollar because they create value. They, um, either build a marketplace where none existed or invent something new and sell it where none existed. And it's to everyone's mutual benefit. And you only buy the iPhone if you think the value of the iPhone is worth more to you than the dollars that you're taking out of your wallet and handing to the Apple store. That's how that works. So there's this understanding in, in America. Again, it's not fully 
vetted out in American culture. A lot of this stuff is, you know, there's, there's none of it's perfect and none of it's been implemented perfectly, but there's this idea that you can have a win-win. You can, you can trade uh, both interpersonally and internationally. Um, countries can trade, people can trade, and it can be win-win. There's no need to be fighting over the last piece of pizza, right? That's not, that's not how, um, kind of the, the core of, of the American economic system and that principle works. Okay. So, so those are the first kind of five elements of the culture war, as far as I can tell. Um, again, maybe I'm leaving something out. Um, and the the sixth one is really about the political result. The political result of adopting these ideas is you either want an let's see if I can point correctly, an administrative state, or you want something more like classical liberalism, right? Um, on on the administrative state side, this is the these are the progressives. Um, this is this idea that you are basically a farm animal that the administrative state centrally manages. Um, Soviets, Nazis, Chinese, you're all owned, right? That's that's the idea. In fact, that's the, if you want to pick on one idea that separates America from basically all the countries prior in history, it's the idea that you're not owned by the state. You're not a serf. You're not a servant of the state. You're not the king's property. You're not the administrative state's property. You, you are not owned. You have that that individual sovereignty, which is expressed in America as kind of what I'll call classical liberalism, right? This idea that you manage your own affairs. The purpose of the state is simply to guarantee your individual sovereignty, prohibit the initiation of force uh, against you from either your neighbors or from, you know, outside. That's, that's the idea of America, this more classical liberalism. You manage your own affairs. You're not, you're not livestock. You're not livestock in service of something bigger but of course for the progressives that's exactly what you are uh so the progressives in the u.s they exemplify you know all of these things this is the left column of the, of that that uh list i was showing you the progressives exemplify all of these no less than the soviets or the chinese or the nazis did right they have the intersexual fatism they have the social justice they have the collective utility they have the social epistemology. They believe in the zero sum economically, and they support an administrative state. That's the, I mean, the origins of progressivism itself is about experts building an administrative state to rule us. And I think probably their first big champion politically was Woodrow Wilson, which is the worst president probably uh, in the history of America, who gave us lots of horrible things like the income tax, Federal Reserve, uh, and that kind of stuff. So, and this was he, you know, he, he laid the groundwork for building the apparatus of the administrative state. So that's where we are. So, so that's kind of how I think about the culture war, I guess is what I'll say. Now the status, where are we right now with the culture war? Okay. I hope this isn't too much of a black pill. Um, Cause ultimately I'm optimistic about the ideas uh, succeeding, just maybe not in Washington. Um, Look, historically, uh, these ideas, that list of, you know, here, this this list of six, right? Those things historically were infused into a single human being that represented them, right? Ideologues sold the ideas, 
right? Um, and let's just look at the three examples I've already used. Stalin, Stalin was, a, he didn't like rise up through some apparatus. He was an outside, like he was a revolutionary. He like, he was a political leader. He was a revolutionary. He um, helped protect Lenin during the Russian revolution in 1917. I mean, he, he at the, there was some, you know, butting of the heads uh, at the beginning and actually later on as well. But, uh, you know, he eventually joined Stalin. He protect or Lenin. He he protected Lenin in the Russian Revolution and hid him and stuff. He was a key figure in the Russian Revolution in 1917. Uh, he was a leader. He was a leader, uh, and he was a, he was uh, he embodied these ideas personally. Right? Mao Mao led communist China, or sorry, led the communist revolution in China. He embodied the communist ideal in china so these these ideas were wrapped together with people hitler it's hard to uh it's hard to analyze him he was an ideologue uh he wasn't just a power luster right so one important i i would argue hitler falls into this category the only thing you can't do is prove it because when he was gone he was gone because the war ended so things changed but um but hitler was not just a power luster who didn't have uh, a vision and ideology. He, if he just wanted power, he could have done what most people do. They, if you wanted power in the U.S., for example, you would join the Republican or Democratic parties, and you know, work your way up, maybe get to be a senator, and then eventually get to be elected president of the United States. You know, that's that was Biden's path. That's most people's path, right? Um, maybe Trump's an exception, but that's most people's path. Now, but even Trump joined the Republican Party, right? That that wasn't Hitler's path. Um, the Nazi party was founded by Anton Drexler in, in, in 1919, not even in the center of power, which was Berlin. It was, it was, uh, founded outside the mainstream in Munich. There was no hope of anything ever really happening. Hitler, uh, I think joined in 1920 or something. He went there. There was little chance of success. You couldn't imagine, right. That 15 years later, these people would be in power. Um, but the. The ideology was clear from the start. They were dedicated to the ideology. They were explicit about the ideology. They were explicit about um, authoritarianism being a necessary step towards their, you know, fantasy goals and all this kind of stuff. This was, this was an ideologue who embodied uh, all these ideas. And the the mo, the modus operandi for 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 political change for most of the 20th century has been along those lines. You, you, you start a political movement with charismatic leadership, right? Um, and, and that's kind of how you push your ideas through. And the, the problem is there's a practical problem here. And, and it, and again, I, I can't say that this would have happened with Hitler because we don't know that he was, you know, the war defeated Nazism. So it was an external force. But if you look at uh, Stalin and Mao, for example, when Stalin died, so did, like, it wasn't an immediate death, but so did that, that Soviet ideology. Khrushchev was much more mild. He did, like, an anti-Stalinization, right? Khrushchev was much more mild than Stalin. And then, obviously, Gorbachev, even more mild, who eventually uh, helped break the Soviet Union. Oh, that wasn't really his goal, but turned the Soviet Union into not a communist dictatorship anymore. He wanted more kind of democratic system. So when when the person intertwined with idea these ideas fails or dies or whatever, 
they kind of go away. Same thing happened in China. Mao was was communist, communist, communist. When he died, Deng Xiaoping, who had actually been kind of an outsider, had had been excommunicated. Uh, Deng Xiaoping came in and was kind of like, well, we need socialism with Chinese characteristics. We need to reinvent this, right? And basically, yeah, they're still authoritarian, but they're not communists anymore. They're they're an authoritarian uh, tax farm, but the those those ideas those those ideals of communism didn't last once Mao died. Um, so there's a practical problem if you're if you're on the left and you've got you've got your your ideals your philosophical ideals here intersectional fatalism social justice collective utility social epistemology zero sum and administrative state if that's your your grand plan you've got some particular implementation of that plan if you intertwine those ideas with a leader when the leader fails or the leader dies um, you lose now progressives in the US solved this problem yeah some did start political parties that ended up going nowhere right but they successfully played the long game and the long game was to capture the culture capture the philosophical get those ideas embedded in the culture philosophically get those ideas in there first learn how to manipulate the public and then go for political power not through an outside entity but through mainstream one of the big two parties actually both in some ways right so they they instead of having an outsider come in with this this vision and painting this vision and rallying the people behind it which maybe just wouldn't have worked in america what they did instead was uh undermine the american culture um yuri besmanov called besmanov called that ideological subversion right they undermined the american culture they implanted these ideas into our culture and then then they could make a political move and they slowly were making political moves the whole time but like really the political power move needs to come after it's embedded in culture now the downside with that strategy is it takes forever the benefit is that the ideal these are these these philosophic ideas become institutionalized and normalized in society so the leaders that spout them are are puppets either consciously or unconsciously right they're just going along with the accepted ideas if the leader fails Eh, the ideology persists, right? In no way is is Joe Biden progressivism, right? If Joe Biden, you know, goes away tomorrow, progressivism doesn't die. Kamala Harris isn't progressivism. Bernie Sanders isn't. Gavin Newsom isn't. Obama wasn't. Elizabeth Warren isn't. Even the squad isn't progressivism. They're just puppets of progressive. They're just following the ideology, and that ideology is already established, well-established. Right. And progressives did this. This was their strategy and they did it. They pulled it off. They have captured our institutions. This was the um, this is the long march. Right. They have a stronghold in our institutions that that phrase, the long march into the institutions was coined in 1967 by a communist activist, Rudy Deutschka. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, he was a spokesman of the German student movement, by the way. So lots of bad ideas always coming out of Germany. Um, but he was a communist spokesman for the German student movement. He coined this this idea, this phrase of long march into institutions in the U.S. And look, here we are. Like he, that was 55 years ago, right? That was 55 years ago. It took a long time. But now we've got universities, primary schools, secondary schools, Hollywood, journalism, generally mainstream media, large corporations, NGOs, the entire apparatus of the state, all the bureaucrats, 
they're owned. They're absolutely owned by, by these progressive ideas. They're abs this is their moral standard. They've adopted the progressive moral standard. So now it's time for them to solidify that political power um, because that they, they have a slightly more tenuous hold on, on political power in terms of elected officials. I think they thought it was in the bag. Trump obviously scared the hell out of them uh, because they kind of they owned all the institutions and along came this guy who was not on board with this uh, these values. And it doesn't matter what values he was on board with. He wasn't on board with those. And uh, and obviously they're making sure they're doing their damnedest to make sure he can't run again. And the main opposition they've gotten, I think, uh, philosophically, if you can even call it that, is is from people who at least are nominally pro-liberty. They might not, it's, I would call it maybe the spirit of liberty. A lot of people aren't able to define or what they mean by that. Uh, it's partly because they, yeah, they just don't, they don't think in abstract terms. They've been taught not to think in these terms. They don't really know what they mean by liberty. By liberty. Um, but, um, you know, and a disturbing percentage probably think it means, you know, freedom to get social security benefits or whatever. Uh, but they have a visceral feeling like this, I want liberty and I feel like I'm not getting, like, I feel like something's wrong and that, and they're right. It's something is wrong. And, um, and that's kind of the main opposition. That's why you end up with, you know, there's a lot not to like about Trump. But the reason I think that a lot of people were behind him is this: he was kind of like, yeah, something's wrong here. We need to dismantle this crap. And that resonated with people. All right. So unlike the authoritarians in the past, Mao, Stalin, Hitler, um, for the Democrats right now, for the progressives, there's no need for them to oppose democracy. They don't need to do that. In fact, it's it's against their best interest to they've captured the culture they know how to manipulate the masses they've captured the culture not you know not to mention that they actually own the bureaucracy that counts votes and all the institutions that report on it basically so they if that's your case if you kind of fought this 55 year long battle and you kind of own the the values of culture and these institutions, you kind of want democracy, but what you want is unfettered, unrestrained democracy because there's a constitution standing in your way that's meant to limit it, and that's a problem for you. And so all that's left um, really, I think, for the progressives to do is to intellectually or maybe emotionally disarm the pro-liberty spirit in Americans. Um, and this is... You know, these are people who actually like the founding fathers, at least nominally, right? Which is not people on the left, right? People on the left explicitly hate the founding fathers, as we've seen. Unfortunately, for people like Biden or the, the progressives behind him, their understanding of, of liberty is really, really vague. So, hey, some word salad in a speech just might work. Um, I already mentioned... Notice the need to use principled language here in the speech. We're going to look at the speech now. Notice the need to use principled language. Ask yourself why, right? Because he's not being principled. The reason to use that language is to usurp the principles. He's trying to usurp, usurp that spirit of liberty. He's trying to commandeer it for, the, for his 
agenda because people don't they're not sure what it means so if you can conflate it with some other stuff and, and move the conversation elsewhere and and make you feel like if he can get you to associate his agenda viscerally with liberty and the founding fathers he can kind of undermine this opposition so um yeah with that said i'm gonna look at chat before i start the video um <laughs> Someone suggests we rename the statue uh, to the Statue of Equity. Yeah, well, they don't need to because they'll just redefine. Um, so, some, also this person asks what's to be done. Well, let's have that conversation later. But let's let's take a look at this. I'm going to pull this up. My fellow. All right, before we start, and I didn't want to start quite yet. Before we start, um, I just want you to look at the aesthetics of this for a minute. In fact, I'll just pull ahead because they're better, like right, right in the middle here. Right, look at these aesthetics. Look at this. Now, I should I should find the fist pumping. He's got some spots with the fist. The aesthetics are even better. But the background here. So this is an authoritarian aesthetic by, I mean, I by anyone's definition. I mean, it's, it's almost it. It's bizarre. Right. The background here is red. It's dark. There's two Marines who are kind of motionless and stoic. There's practically their silhouettes, practically. There's no one else in the background, uh, no coalitions or anything else. Just just those two uh, figures, authority, like figures of violence, by the way, representing violence, um, representing authority, like the, the authority of the state and, they, their, and their ability to wield guns. There's no one else in the foreground or background, as I mentioned. Uh, in the foreground, there's just kind of this, the camera angle never really changes. It's it's straight on. Um, he's kind of in a spotlight almost. Uh, there's no no camera angle changes whatsoever. It's a straight on, there he is. This is reminiscent to me of uh, Lini Riefenstahl. Lini Riefenstahl was the, the um, film producer. Uh, for Triumph of the Will and some other Nazi propaganda. She was generally recognized as... Uh, I think she would be much more recognized as a film genius if she hadn't worked with the Nazis, so that she's kind of a controversial figure in in the film world. But she is recognized as having a uh, talent aesthetically, right? So she... You know, it reminds me of kind of that kind of propagandistic setup. It also reminds me of V for Vendetta, um, the Chancellor Adam Sutler, kind of aesthetic there. It also kind of reminds me of 1984 a little bit, um, and and maybe even uh, Emperor or whatever his is it Emperor Palpatine or Chancellor Palpatine or whatever. Um, and I did, by the way, if you want to vote, uh, I put a little poll up for you can vote for what uh, his aesthetics reminded you of. And 2% of you said he reminded you of the Founding Fathers, so mission accomplished, Joe Biden. So anyway, that's the aesthetic here. Um, I think the question is, why is this the aesthetic? This was not unintentional. Um, well, he's planning to vilify his enemies here, so it's kind of a sinister message. So uh, there's a little bit of that. But I think he is about to position himself, boldly position himself as the defender of liberty which is such a huge lie 
It's such a huge lie that you you really have to sell this. You've got to look like you're damn sure of yourself. So he is selling this as like we're at war with these people and I'm on the side of liberty and the founding fathers. Like this is he, – he's got to go over the top in selling this here. Uh, so I think, you know, other than just oops, we're authoritarians and we let our aesthetics slip, I think some of that was intentional. Right now, the context here is he is at Independence Hall, so obviously this links all of his rhetoric to the principles of the founding fathers. Um, it also links it to this idea that it's now is the time to fight for America. Right, this is you know the the founding of the country was a tumultuous time. Um, there was a lot of standing up on principle and fighting, actually bloodshed to do this. So he's he's kind of linking it to the the urgency. It's crisis time, and he's on the side of the founding fathers. That's that's this. That's the reason for this uh, location. The timing, I think, is a little bit obvious, right? He's the midterm elections around the corner. They've been uh, there's all this Trump FBI drama in the news. They really want to make sure that Trump can't run again, um, and 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 they're trying to paint the brush larger than Trump. Now there, he's you'll see him talk about the word. You hear him use the word MAGA Republicans. I'm sure he means DeSantis and anyone else that might be endorsed by or sympathetic to in any way uh trump and again this is because they are paranoid of a trump resurgence coming up in this election uh i personally i think this is a bad strategic move but i'm not a political strategist i think if they had just ignored trump uh completely um he would have gone away he'd have retired he'd have you know once in a while he'd have been on cbs news or whatever and talking about stuff but no one would care but because they can't help but go after him because they're so paranoid of him uh it's really rallied a lot of people who would not otherwise be considering themselves uh defenders of trump they've, they've got a lot of people rallying behind him in a way that i don't think would have happened but um you know they want to they want to i think one of the things one argument you could make here is they're going to try and it's hard to make this. I, I could be wrong about this, but they might be trying to link liberty to Trump and then defeating Trump, which will also ultimately de defeat liberty. Although Biden does try and usurp the word liberty himself here as well. So I don't know. Let's go through the speech. Let's start from the beginning here and go through the speech. Remember, um, remember, as we do this, his speech is uncorrelated to the truth. So don't like, what's he trying to say? What's the truth he's getting at? Uh-uh. It's not correlated to the truth. If anything, it's anti-correlated to the truth. You would do better assuming that the truth is the opposite of everything he says, that everything's a projection. That, that's probably a better assumption. You know, I wouldn't say do either one of those things blanketly, but remember, it's not correlated uh, or, or anti-correlated to the truth. And the reason for that is the purpose here is not to communicate information. It's to manipulate and deceive people. The audience for this speech is clearly uh, really more his ideological opponents or the ideological opponents of progressivism. It's a mainstream audience that is, is his audience here. He's not speaking to the squad. He's not speaking to progressives. He is speaking to the mainstream people that he's afraid might be going, hey, this, yeah, there's something. We are kind of losing liberties, right? Like they might be listening to some of the, the rhetoric from the we'll say the MAGA Republicans, as he would say, and their 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 curiosity is peaked, and they're like, yeah, I, it does feel like something's wrong. It just does feel like 
or losing our liberties. Those are the people he's speaking to. Um, so here we go. I'm going to pause it a lot, probably. <clears throat> Please, if you have a seat, take it. I speak to you tonight <clears throat> from sacred ground in America, Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. All right. Again, this venue is intentional. He is saying he's calling it sacred ground because he wants to convince you that he loves America's founding also. Just like you. He's one of you. He loves America's founding. It's sacred ground to him. Okay. This is where America made its declaration of independence to the world more than two centuries ago with an idea unique among nations that in America, we're all created equal. This is where the United States Constitution was written and debated. This is where we set in motion the most extraordinary experiment of self-government the world has ever known. With three simple words, we the people, we the people, Okay, I'm just going to pause here again. I Look, he's, again, he's evoking some imagery here, saying, I'm an admirer of the founding principles also. That's that's part of the imagery he's evoking, clearly. Um, but he's drawing attention to we the people, which I, I stopped and I wondered, like, why, why are you doing that? That's not the focus. I mean, yes, those are the first three words, but... It's not really the heart of anything. It's not really the focus. It's, these aren't, that's not the we the people isn't the principle behind the Constitution. Um, I think maybe that it's that his his authority because well he's he wants to argue that his authority flows from his status as a representative of the people. And I can't help but think of a, I, there's not a better way to put it really than than this line from you ever you ever watch. Uh, Monty Python, Holy Grail. Monty Python's Holy Grail. Uh, there's a scene in the beginning where um, the king is arguing with the peasant, and the peasant says to the king, supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. And we, you know, we laugh at it. It's a funny line. Fine. But people actually believe that first part, that supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses. That's extremely dangerous. That's the dictatorship of the proletariat. This idea that what the masses will, their mandate, you as their representative get to wield ex supreme executive power. And I think that's what he's trying to go for. He's, he's the representative of we the people, Therefore, because the Constitution is just based on we the people, you'll see that later. Uh, therefore, he should have supreme executive power. All right, let's keep going. These two documents and the ideas they embody, equality and democracy, are the rock upon which this nation is built. They're how we became the greatest nation on earth. There why, for more than two centuries, America has been a beacon to the world. Okay, so um, that's just false. Um, 
equality. So, okay. So first of all, equality, they use equality and equity often interchangeably. Um, they, and, and there, and my argument for that is they argue that when they are, is a disparate outcomes, that must mean there's inequality, right? That's how they use it. Inequality. What was meant by equality, obviously by the founding fathers was equality under the law. Um, so he says these two documents and the ideas they embody. Now his he's essentializing these documents, which is fine. Uh, but the ideas he's essentializing it to are equality, which he doesn't really mean in the way they did, and democracy, which they were terrified of. Um, and he says these are the rock upon which the nation's built. They're how we became the greatest nation. No. Um, now equality under the law was important, but democracy was a viewed as a means to an end as i've said before so it was liberty it's it's the political liberty afforded by having a system designed to protect individual rights uh that's why we became a beacon to the world that's why we became the greatest nation on earth it's because we had liberty as a result of the individual rights that were recognized in these documents which, by the way, were necessarily limitations on democracy. That's what made America special. And this is an old trick, and it works. I've seen it my entire life with politicians. It sickens me, but it's this idea that America equals democracy, right? America equals democracy. And you hear, you hear presidents say, we want to spread democracy around the world. No, no. Democracy is merely a means to an end. It is not what makes America special. It never has. If there was a different means that accomplished the end better, that would be a better thing to do. Right now, the Founding Fathers couldn't come up with anything better than a constitutional republic and some variant on democracy that was limited, right, intentionally limited. There's still an electoral college. Keep in mind, when the when the Constitution was written, senators were appointed by states, right? Not voted for by people. So, like, th th there was intentional limitations um, because they they wanted to make sure that the, that individual rights were respected, uh, and they wanted to stop the tyranny of democracy. But politicians do this all the time. They conflate America with democracy, and they say, therefore, stop opposing things that arise through the democratic process. If people voted for it, stop opposing it because America is democracy, which it's not. It, democracy is a broad category uh, that includes many systems of government. America does have a democratic system of government, but it is, it is it's not a pure democracy and it's intentionally limited. Um, so, you know, it's just important. And by the way, as far as being a beacon to the world, that is true. America has been a beacon to the world, but I'll just, here's an anecdote uh, about when people actually get to America after having seen what America was in the past. I had a friend, you know, 20 years ago who, um, she grew up in Kenya. She grew up reading about individual rights and how awesome she read, like, you know, founding documents and that kind of stuff. Right. And she was like, oh, this is great. America is this, this play, this land of, of Liberty. And she came here and she was horrible. I mean, granted she moved to California, but she was horribly depressed. Because she was like, well, America's just, it's not any of those things at all. It's a democracy. It's kind of free, but it's not really different than most of Europe. And so America's being an example is not dependent on its democratic system of government. It's dependent on 
it's recognition of individual rights and the value of liberty. Okay, let's. If I stop this much all the time, we're never going to get through this. So let's keep going. But as I stand here tonight, equality and democracy are under assault. We do ourselves no favor to pretend otherwise. Really quickly, because he's linked equality and democracy to America, so now he's saying America is under assault. Um, and the tone that he's going to take, the direction he's going to go here is, we're the Americans, and our opposition is anti-American, which um, I'm going to just put this distinction in your head now so you can be thinking about it. He is swapping out uh what it means to be American versus what it means to be a supporter of the American bureaucratic state. And those are two, in fact, not only the two different things, they have grown to become two things that oppose each other. All right, let's keep going. So tonight I've come to this place where it all began to speak as plainly as I can to the nation about the threats we face about the power we have in our own hands to meet these threats and about the incredible future that lies in front of us if only we choose it. I don't have proof of this, but I think when he says the power that, quote, we have in our own hands, obviously <laughs> he represents we in this, uh, I think he's priming us somehow or increased government exercise of power. And I, I see it again later in the speech, which we'll talk about. But uh, I have a suspicion that he's priming us. He wants to do something that will be controversial. And he is priming us for this, um, which is why he needs to make this into a crisis, because we let people get away with stuff when it's a crisis. We must never forget, we the people are the true heirs of the American experiment that began more than two centuries ago. Again, this is kind of a weird phrase uh, because I think he's setting it up for an us versus them kind of thing, right? If he means we the people, the true heirs, that means literally everyone. But he's excluding some people. Uh, so when he says we never forget that we're the true heirs, we the people of the true heirs, He's starting to paint we the people as opposed to someone else. So some other people will be MAGA Republicans. They're not we the people. We're we the people. That that's going to be his. Uh, that's going to be the tone here. We the people have burning inside of each of us the flame of liberty that was lit here at Independence Hall. A flame that led our way through abolition, the Civil War, suffrage, the Great Depression, world wars, civil rights. That sacred flame still burns. Now in our time, as we build an America that is more prosperous, free and just, that is the work of my presidency, a mission I believe in with my whole soul. Okay, so clearly here he's using the language that pro-liberty people would use, right? The flames of liberty burning, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, you could argue that some of the events he cited, Great Depression, for example, uh, we abandoned, we, you know, the flame of liberty didn't see us through that. We kind of extinguished it and implemented the New Deal. Um, but uh, and we weren't following it. So you could, you could make some arguments there. Um, but he's generally using this language, of, uh, this pro-liberty language here. Um, and he's also telling us that we have liberty now. It's still burning now. It burns now in our time, he says. So uh, he's, he's kind of saying, like, yeah, we still have it, and we recognize that you all have this flame of liberty that burns, and, hey, we still all have it. We're still on the same side. I'm the pro-liberty one. It's in my soul. God damn it. It's a mission I believe with my whole soul. Right. That's what he's that's what he's saying. I am I am a, I am the pro liberty one. If you can believe that. But first, we must be honest with each other and with ourselves. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Okay, just as a reminder, when he says we must be honest with each other and ourselves, what he means is I'm going to lie to you now, right? This is, I got to be honest that when, when it comes out of almost any politician's mouth, it's I'm going to lie, but we know he's, we know he's lying because he's not a defender of Liberty. I mean, did he, is that, was that his campaign? Did he talk about the, the flame of Liberty? No. In fact, normally if you use that language during a campaign, you're a crazy libertarian or maybe someone who's a decent Republican, but like not, Democrats don't use that language, right? Um, so he's lying to you. i got to be honest. He's about to lie to you. And also, he's like, what's happening in our country isn't, isn't normal. Well, nor normal is kind of a vague thing, and it's also a status quo bias. And and like we've talked about in the past, it's claiming it like normalizing stuff that's bad. Like they've normalized. We talked about this, right? They normalize these progressive values, Right. And then, and then they say, hey, what's happening now is abnormal. Yeah, so what? Yeah, it is abnormal. It needs to be abnormal because normal has gotten to be a problem. Uh, so, all right, let's, let's keep going. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Uh, okay. I've said this before. Extremism is a non-argument word. I can't stand it. Um, it's based on the fallacy of the Aristotelian mean. It's a pragmatic. Uh, it's a use of pragmatic language for people who cannot think philosophically. And of course, they don't want you thinking philosophically. They don't want you thinking in philosophical terms. And so they say, well, I'm against extremism or extremism is bad. Extremism is just a degree like extremely good isn't bad. Extremely just isn't bad. So extremism doesn't mean anything. It means like what is being what's extreme about it? What's what is being extreme? Right. And it's based on this. Um, it well, it's used to paint something as evil without having to defend why you think it's evil. And it's also based on the pragmatic philosophy that the left has been using to erode our liberty for uh, for generations. And that is well. You want pure liberty. That's extreme. 
just take a little bit, just compromise a little bit on, on some socialism. Just a little bit, a little bit of government ownership of you, right? And uh, obviously, the conservatives suck at saying no, so they say sure, and they they brag like, hey, they wanted to increase the budget by 10%, but we only increased it by 5%. That's a win. Well, you know, and it would be extreme to say we should reduce the budget. That's extremism, right? Um, so, you know, this is how they slowly take baby steps forward and forward and forward continuously. Continuously, You're constantly compromising because they're the only ones that stand on principle, by the way. They're evil principles, but they make principled arguments. Um, and they can make those principled arguments because they've convinced everyone of the principles that, that work for what they want. So they make those principled arguments in public, and the right looks like, uh, you know, pandy-wasted weaklings. So and he says here that extremism threatens the foundation. What he means is it it threatens uh, the method. It threatens democracy. It threatens the method. He doesn't like the method being threatened. Um, and again, he's mentioning Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans because they're terrified. All right, let's let's move on. I want to be very clear, very clear up front. <clears throat> Not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. Okay, this is uh, clever. Well, it's not super clever. But what he's doing is he's giving Republicans an out. He's saying, um, uh, you're going to you, you come away with the speech thinking, Okay, this, these MAGA Republicans are an existential threat. But now's your chance to say you're not a MAGA Republican. There are Republicans who aren't the MAGA Republicans, so and it's not all of them. Now, in reality, it actually is. I mean, Trump received 47 million votes, which was the most in history except for Biden's 81 million, assuming vote counts are all you know kosher. Um, so it's quite a lot of people who are MAGA Republicans, uh, but he he is pretending like it's a small uh, set of them. He's painting them as a small set so that he can convince uh, the people who are kind of leaning that way that like, oh, I'm going to we're going to vilify the, this group over here. Be sure you're on my side. So he's giving them he's giving them uh, an out. He's giving them an out. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. These are hard things. All right. Um, so, again, giving them a little bit of an out, they're even intimidated by Donald Trump. The Republican Party is dominated, but not, I know not all you Republicans. It's just the party, and you're all intimidated. He's a threat, right? He's about to tell us how, I guess, um, or he should. Uh, he doesn't actually really, really. He touches on some stuff, but uh, you know, he's supposed to tell us how he's a threat. By the way, these are hard things is a weird line. I'm hearing that and I'm like what does he what does he mean in the word salad these are hard things it's kind of like a crouton it's like a it's just kind of a tasteless crunchy thing I don't know what it means these are hard things um all right Joe he's got maybe he means reading from the teleprompter is a hard thing I don't know 
But I'm an American president, not a president of red America, blue America, but of all America. And I believe it's my duty, my duty to level with you, to tell the truth, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful. <laughs> Again, just his recommendation, assume the opposite here. So uh, when he says... Uh, He's not the president of red or blue America, but all, all America. He's the president of unity. What he means is, I'm here to divide you and be partisan, uh, which is very clear from his speech. It's very hard to make an argument that he's actually unifying in his speech. Um, when he says, I'm here to be honest, level with you to tell you the truth, he means lie to you. Um, and actually, I'm wondering if he, you know, it's very painful. Maybe he actually likes it. I don't know. Um, all right, here, let's let's see what he has to say about the those, those damn, the damn MAGA Republicans. And here, in my view, is what is true. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. <laughs> yes. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that right. Joe Biden is criticizing someone for not respecting the Constitution. Uh, now, obviously, uh, this is a complete usurpation of the concept of respecting the Constitution. I mean, obviously his opponents, most of them view themselves as constitutionalists. The left, I mean, they use the Constitution as toilet paper. They, they don't they don't give one iota about the Constitution. They'll read anything they want into the Constitution for any purpose they want. Uh, you know, the, the left is, this is why they talk about democracy, not the limits. I mean, is he going to talk, if he's going to talk about the Constitution. You can talk about the limits the Constitution places on democracy. No, no. Uh, so I mean, it, this is rich. This is rich. He respects the, or the, or he's not saying he respects it. He's saying they don't respect it, which is like, yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, it, uh, I'm surprised he got away with that, but I guess I shouldn't be. I also talks about the rule of law here. Um, they don't. They don't believe in the rule of law. Um, I think maybe you could ask yourself, is it true that the MAGA Republicans don't believe in the rule of law or, or do they not believe in maybe certain laws? Maybe, maybe, you know, they don't believe in some of the laws. Like if you make a, a law that's immoral, I mean, I wouldn't believe in it or, or maybe they think that they are being ruled by men and not laws. Maybe they think laws are being selectively applied based on ideological compliance, which is not the rule of law at all. Maybe they do believe in the rule of law and they think the rule of law is not what's happening. Um, also, by the way, you know, in the same in the same breath, he says they don't respect the Constitution and then he says they don't recognize the will of the people. Well, the Constitution is not the will of the people. It's restrictions on the will of the people. Again, one of the most fundamental things about the Constitution. I mean, remember growing up how much you were told about the Bill of Rights? Don't worry. These are things they can't do. Those are restrictions on the will of the people. That's what they are. But again, he's he's pretending that the Constitution, he's using the Constitution because most people listening to this have no idea what the Constitution means. They've never read the Constitution. They've never even read the cliff notes of the Constitution. They have no clue. So if he says the Constitution is just about whatever the will of the people wants, you know, the president gets all that power and that's what the constitution says. Like, okay, you know, whatever. 
you know, if that's what he says it means, they'll buy it for the most part. All right. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. And they're working right now, as I speak, in state after state, to give power to decide elections in America to partisans and cronies, empowering election deniers to undermine democracy itself. I mean, he's really leading us to believe that we're in some kind of unique crisis here, that this is not, you know, uh, normal life in the, in the uniparty world, like the, that there isn't district uh, <laughs> gerrymandering and all this kind of stuff and partisans and cronies. He's, he's acting like, like this is not normal behavior. But, you know, Congress has a pretty low approval rating. The government has a pretty low approval rating. I would say... People know that uh, a lot of this is kind of standard behavior, and there's not some unusual crisis here, but we're led to believe that. Now, I just want to remind you, he says they refuse to accept the results of a free election. I don't have the videos here, but you can find them online. They're all over the place. Um, look, after Trump won in 2016, the Democrats did the exact same thing. I mean, they didn't, you know. Uh, they didn't have their January 6th moment, but Hillary ran around saying he's an illegitimate president. She said that the 2016 election was not on the level. Those are her words. She also said that it was stolen from her. Her words. Her words. He's an illegitimate president. Is an illegitimate president. The election was stolen from her. That's Hillary Clinton. And and and, and you know, lots of people on her side went around repeating that kind of crap, saying that you know, democracy was was threatened and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, why? Because they lost. Because they lost. Now, I also want to address this concept of, of election denier. Um, let's put aside the actual election results, partly because I, I don't want to get a YouTube strike, um, partly because I think it's, you know, complex to see. But, uh, Put, put aside the results for a second. It clearly wasn't administered impartially by the progressive apparatus, right, that they've already captured. I mentioned I mentioned what the progressives have captured. Mainstream media, uh, you know, in various institutions and bureaucracies, like big tech, right? That progressive apparatus, this is it's been captured by the progressives. The election was in no way impartial. I mean, the entire cathedral suppressed Biden damaging information. And they elevated Trump damaging information. We heard years of Marussia, 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 right? But we didn't really hear a lot about Biden in Ukraine. We didn't hear about the Hunter Biden laptop. It was in fact suppressed intentionally. We heard, you know, Sam Harris. Like that, that we heard him comment on that. I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. And we heard that Trump derangement syndrome. That was typical of, you know, he, he's he might sound crazy, but he's representative of uh, the, the attitudes of the, that entire cathedral of progressive progressivism, that entire apparatus, the media and everything uh, and big tech. Right. And we and we saw recently on Joe Rogan 
we saw uh, Zuckerberg admit, well, the FBI kind of told us to be on the lookout for things like the Hunter Biden. They didn't say Hunter Biden specifically. He doesn't think, you know, he was he uh, he couched what he said a little bit. But clearly the FBI is kind of at least hinting that they shouldn't be talking about the Hunter Biden laptop story. We know it got suppressed by Twitter. We know it got suppressed by uh, the New, well, the New York Post got uh, suspended by Twitter. Facebook admitted suppressing it. So, you know, you can call them election deniers all you want, but the truth is uh, it's undeniable that the coverage of the election, which we know does have an effect on elections. Facebook, as one example, has tested this. They know it has an result, uh, a result, and they know it has an effect. It was certainly anything but objective. So you don't have to deny the machinations of voting machines or anything else. You can say this was totally, totally a a, uh, a manipulated result based on the behavior of mainstream media and big tech alone. And I think that's a hard statement to argue against. So, and blah, blah, blah. They undermine democracy, blah, blah, blah. Which, by the way, the Constitution undermines democracy intentionally. It limits it. So, okay, here we go. Let's, let's listen to some more. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. Backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. Okay, so, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't, I, if, if I stop like this and go into every little detail, it's going to take forever. But look, he's, he's, complaining, he's conflating things like rights, like right to privacy with entitlements, like right to contraception. Like you don't have a right to, I guess you have a right to buy contraception, right? Um, maybe that's what he's talking about. Um, but I don't know what this right to privacy stuff is. Is it coming from the Roe? It's coming from the Roe. I know it's coming from the overturning of Roe because that's what Roe rests on. But I mean, how about, par hey, if we have a right to privacy, how about pardoning Edward Snowden and discussing the massive surveillance state? Thanks for standing up for our individual rights, Joe Biden. I love how much you often talk about the unconstitutionality of the National Security Agency and the entire surveillance state that we've set up. I, I really appreciate how much you've been fighting against those and how you've really fought and I, I and, and how much you, you know, I like that you pardoned Edward Snowden. Thank you so much, you pillar of individual rights. And you do you defender, you noble defender of individual rights, Joe Biden, you. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. <laughs> okay, first of all, they promote authoritarian leaders. That's mostly projection. Um, obviously, I, like, I, you can't name a whole bunch of stuff that Trump did that was you know, more authoritarian than anyone else unless you want to claim that there was an insurrection on January 6th, which uh, obviously I think is, is hyperbolic to, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but keep in mind also that because the progressives have captured the institutions and because I talked about how they no longer need to have their ideas intertwined with a particular political figure, they don't really need uh, an authoritarian. They can have a cabal running things and 
you get the same result. I don't care whether I'm oppressed by a committee or a person. It's the same thing. And by the way, um, <laughs> they fan the flames of political violence. Uh, <laughs> this is from this is from the people, the same people that Antifa is just an idea. Have you ever heard of Antifa? It's like we totally forgot about two years ago. Yeah, it's only it's only MAGA Republicans that fan the flames of of political violence. Um, a threat to our personal rights. Well, I mean, it seems like the left is a threat to our personal rights uh, with respect to free speech and what they're telling big tech to be doing and, and working with big tech to do. Uh, and with respect to um, the Second Amendment, by the way, Mr. Constitution, uh, firearms, do we have and by, and also do we have any economic rights anymore or is it just, you know, whatever? The rule of law. I mean. What what they're a threat to is is compliance with unaccountable bureaucrats and their orders. That's what that's what the MAGA Republicans are a threat to. Right. This is this is why Drain the Swamp was was resonated with them. Right. And the very soul of the country. He misidentified what the very soul of the country was earlier. So whatever. He's saying these things are the very soul of the country. Okay. Let's let's keep going. They look at the mob that stormed the United States Capitol on January 6th, brutally attacking law enforcement, not as insurrectionists who placed a dagger at the throat of our democracy. But they look at them as patriots. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, some of them look at them as patriots. Uh, I look them at them actually as mis- as as misguided patriots. Sure, um, maybe not the best idea. Uh, but why do we look at them as patriots, Joe? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, uh, this was not remotely an insurrection, and everyone knows it was had no- It was nowhere near an insurrection. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to call that an insurrection. Um, and it's so over the top that it's hard to take you seriously. Although if you repeat it often enough, I guess people will believe it. Um, we also look at them as patriots because democracy is not the same as America. Those aren't the same thing. And uh, I, I think that they honestly were um, wanting to defend the ideas behind America. And they didn't trust the electoral system, like, okay, well, if you don't trust the electoral system, you're not against democracy. You're just not trusting this, this particular outcome for, for, you know, legitimate reasons. Frankly, we were told we couldn't ask questions about it. So, you know, that's immediately suspicious. And as I mentioned, the election was at, at the very least rigged by the cathedral. We don't have to talk about whether it was legitimate or not in terms of like technically, but it was definitely rigged by the cathedral. It was definitely rigged by, you know, or rigged by, I'll say, influenced by, um, manipulated by the media. We know that. All right. Also, brutally attacking law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, there was some law enforcement that got beat up. Um, But also, Ashley Babbitt says hi. So. And they see their MAGA failure to stop a peaceful transfer of power after the 2020 election as preparation for the 2022 and 2024 elections. They tried 
everything last time to nullify the votes of 81 million people. This time, they're determined to succeed in thwarting the will of the people. Uh, okay, first of all, I, I don't think they were trying to stop a peaceful transfer of power. They were trying to go through, they wanted a double checking of the process. They wanted it to be, they wanted to push uh, results back to states so that states could recertify them uh, and, you know, make sure they were certified again. Like they, they weren't, they didn't like storm the White House and like set up camp and, and a little sign that said, uh, you know, <laughs> Chaz. <laughs> and and be like it's ours we're not giving it back like that's not what happened that's not what happened they wanted the results to not be certified they wanted to send them back to the state and have them rechecked so okay fine um you know and by the way i just keep needing to remind people of this the will of the people is not the fundamental american principle right just because the people want 87,000 new irs agents vis-a-vis -vis joe biden uh doesn't mean that we should get 87,000 new IRS agents. They, they shouldn't have any of the rights of, you know, the, the government doesn't, shouldn't be doing that at all, right? Like, I, I get that there was an amendment passed in 1913, but Woodrow Wilson, by the way, uh, but still. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, more scare language here. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Uh... That's why respected conservatives like Federal Circuit Court Judge Michael Ludwig has called Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans, quote, a clear and present danger to our democracy. Uh, first of all, by the way, thank you to the, for uh, the super chat from Justifiably Stupid. Uh, okay, so he says, uh, this judge called the Trump called Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans, quote, a clear and present danger to our democracy. Um, clear and present danger language is uh, another piece of the evidence that I'm going to throw out there as, uh, which leads me to believe that he is prepping to do something. Um, clear and present danger was a doctrine that was adopted by the Supreme Court to determine um, when there can be limits on the First Amendment, like freedom of speech, or press, or assembly. Uh, like if there's a clear and present danger, that, that was uh, replaced. Um, so now I think it's an imminent lawness test. But clear and present danger is is language that is generally used to justify uh, excessive or, or expansion of aggression in some way. Like, well, we wouldn't do this, but there are clear and present danger. So this is why I'm suspicious that something's going on, that there's some plan here that he's prepping us for. I don't know what it is. Um, yeah. All right, let's, let's listen to some more of this dude. While the threat to American democracy is real, I want to say as clearly as we can, we are not powerless in the face of these threats. We are not bystanders in this ongoing attack on democracy. There are far more Americans, far more Americans, from every, from every background and belief, who reject the extreme MAGA ideology than those that accept it. And folks. Okay, so he's trying to, obviously he's trying to marginalize um, 
extreme MAGA ideology. I don't even know really what that means. Um, because he never really defined what extreme mega ideology is, but that's that's intentional. Uh, it just is a stand-in for political opponents um, and people who uh, oppose the progressive agenda. Um, and again, and you, again, you see this language of like attack on democracy, attack on democracy. Like, well, that shouldn't bother you. Like, attack on individual rights should bother you. Attack on democracy, yeah. Okay, I guess that's sort of a problem unless the attack is, hey, democracy is violating our individual rights, in which case, maybe the attack on democracy is justified. Maybe democracy needs to be told to sit down, shut up, and follow the Constitution. Um, But uh, anyway, look, if if it were true – so he's saying there's far more people. There's so – the number of extreme MAGA people is so small, right? If that were true, he wouldn't need to be prepping us for this imminent exercise of power, which I think he's doing, right? So if they weren't a real threat, he wouldn't need to have the speech. He's having the speech precisely because they are a threat uh, or he he feels like they're a threat. All right. It's within our power. It's in our hands, yours and mine, to stop the assault on American democracy. I believe America is at an inflection point, one of those moments that determine the shape of everything that's to come after. And now, America must choose to move forward or to move backwards, to build a future or obsess about the past, to be a nation of hope and unity and optimism, or a nation of fear, division, and of darkness. Uh, by the way, someone in chat, I think is Greg says, uh, he doesn't define democracy either. Yeah, of course not. Um, but, uh, he's not going to define any of this stuff really. And he's not relying on you to have a clear understanding. What he's trying to do is use words that evoke feelings, right? So, Hey, assault on democracy, American, that sounds bad, right? Um, by the way, I do find it rich that he says to build the future or obsess about the past. Gee, which group is obsessing about the past? Which group is the one who, uh, which ideology stops before their show? If I I was a member of that ideology, I would have said before my show, I recognize that I'm broadcasting from the sacred land of the people who once were oppressed by the white man. Who is focusing on the past? It's not the MAGA Republicans. (laughs) It's really not any Republicans. It's the progressives. And they're using the past to justify the acquisition of power and their uh, collectivist intersectionalism, right? Like that's, they're the ones obsessing about the past. But so again, lots of this stuff is often projection. I think also here he's building up to this idea that there's, well, not building up. He's, he's saying there's this crisis. America's at an inflection point. It's one of these moments that determines everything. This is a crisis He's also said now it's he's we've heard him say it's a clear and present danger. It's a crisis. Things are coming to a head. I again, I think he's really building up towards he's he's laying the groundwork for getting our permission, uh, getting the people's permission for something. Right. Uh, And, you know, look, I mean, most of the hope and unity and optimism. uh, I just it's such there's such empty words. Right. Don't criticize me. 
If you criticize me, you lack hope and optimism. Uh, and by the way, unity. Uh, great. Thank you. Unity. Biden's version of unity here requires vilifying 74 million voters. Right. We'll be together as long as we get rid of these half the country here. Right. This is the problem. <laughs> and and also unity, by the way, is a common authoritarian theme. They like they like unity. That's a good one uh, because you're supposed to sacrifice for unity. You're supposed to like, well, you know. Sit down and shut up. We need unity. Right. Compromise for unity. That's why they call for unity. Um, very few politicians are like, yeah, we have discord. That's OK. <laughs> People disagree. Yeah, let's ride the wave of, you know, disagreement. Hmm. We need unity uh, because we need to wield power. Uh, fear, division, and darkness. Obviously, those are just, you know, more meaningless crap. They're, they're just in opposition to hope, unity, and optimism. And he's just using them to evoke emotions. All right. MAGA Republicans have made their choice. They embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. <laughs> okay, so I'm about unity. Also, the other side are bad guys. <laughs> not all of them, as I've said, but basically all of them. I mean, just, you know, just just the half of the country that voted for Trump and the majority of the Republican Party and normal people. Uh, but, you know, there's a few... Uh, there's a few rhinos I get along with, so that's cool. Uh, you know, they don't have to be taken care of yet. But uh, I'm all about unity. Um, and and these other guys, uh, they made their choice. They're not about unity, so. <laughs> Up against the wall, Republicans. All right, here we go. But together, together we can choose a different path. We can choose a better path forward to the future a future of possibility a future to build and dream and hope and we're on that path moving ahead i know this nation i know you the american people i know your courage i know your hearts and i know our history all right this there's gonna towards the end of the speech it's gonna be hard to really comment on it because he's just He's just throwing out verbal chum to people with low IQ. This doesn't, this is just all build a better future, better path, move forward. I know you, you have courage. It's like, all right, that's, uh, okay. I mean, if you're that low IQ and low self-esteem that you're like, thanks Biden. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what to say to you. If that means anything to you, I don't know what to say to you. It, it means absolutely nothing. It's, uh, it's just, it's just, uh, just chum. All right, let's 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 go on. This is a nation that honors our Constitution. We do not reject it. Mm. <laughs> Since when? I mean, maybe the nation might, but I'm um, pretty sure Washington doesn't. This is a nation that believes in the rule of law. We do not repudiate it. <clears throat> well, some laws, when we want to. Uh, we really also believe in the rule of men. Um, which is why, again, which is why people responded to Trump's message of drain the swamp, right? One of the reasons that, that Trump resonated with people was because they don't trust that the bureaucracy is rep is, or is representative of the rule of law. It's a swamp. 
And by the way, I just just it's I can prove that we're not a nation of laws. That I can prove that we don't have rule of law right now. That the that the that the current people in Washington, that the current people running the country do not believe in rule of law. And my proof is this. There's way more written in law books. There's way more laws than any one person could possibly comprehend. We don't know what the laws are. And when you live in a world like that, it's impossible. It's impossible to be under a system that you're ruled by law. I'm not ruled by law. You know why? I don't know the law. No, 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 no one does. Neither do you. None of you. No one knows the law. No one in America knows the full law. Therefore, when I go to do something, I'm not worried about whether it's illegal or not. I'm worried about whether some agent of the state is going to get mad at me for it. There might be a law against it. I don't know. Some things I know. I know you can't speed, right? Like there's some stuff I know. But in general, I mean, there's so many laws. I don't know what the volume is, but maybe someone can look it up and post it in chat. But like the volume of laws, and and you have to throw in, by the way, regulatory rules on top of that because those are enforced. You know, they're the regulation. Regulation is uh, an extension of the law, right? The the Congress has empowered an executive agency to, you know, use force to regulate in some way. So there's all that regulation that's. You know, it's de facto law. So you can't possibly say we're a nation where we were run by rule of law, but no one knows what it is. That's not law. Law is when you know clearly what it is you're supposed to do. When you want to start a business, you know, you know, these are the things I got to do and that's it. And then I can't get in trouble. If I don't, if I just do these things, everything else is fine. I won't get in trouble. There's nothing I can do to get in trouble. That's not the way it is at all. Right. If you're gardening this afternoon, uh, which it's hot in most places, so maybe you shouldn't be outside gardening. Like, you might be violating an EPA regulation. You don't know. You very likely are. I mean, there's. I, I've mentioned this before. There's. I think someone wrote a book called the. Uh, I forget what the name of the book is, but it's something about you know we we violate like six federal laws a day on average. That's not a. That's not a rule of law. That the reason that there are all those laws is precisely so. They can be selectively chosen for prosecution. Like you can be selectively chosen for prosecution. So the the idea that, I mean, we might, people might believe that the rule of law is a good idea, but clearly Washington doesn't believe that. Otherwise they would repeal 99.9% of what they've got on the books. What they believe in is the rule of the proletariat. This is a nation that respects free and fair elections. We honor the will of the people. We do not deny it. I mean, I've said this a million times. No. We ought to be, you know, we ought to be a nation that questions free and fair and are allowed to question whenever anything happens. We should be allowed to question it uh, and not get, you know, thrown in, in, virtual jail or our actual jail uh, for questioning stuff. And second, we ought to be willing to restrain the will of the people in the name of protecting individual rights. I feel like a broken record, but, you know, again, Biden embodies the will of the people, so that's all that matters. 
And his idea of following the Constitution is, hey, people want me. So, you know, whatever the will of the people is, that's the end. And this is a nation that rejects violence as a political tool. We do not encourage violence. Uh, except for the summer of 2020. Uh, oh, and uh, also whenever it benefits Marxists. Uh, when, when Antifa wants it, then we totally encourage political violence. We just don't accept it when there's some mild violence from the other side. That's I, just to be clear. Uh, also, let's just pause for a minute because I, I think this is fun. <laughs> I found this the other day. I didn't realize this existed. I don't think it went anywhere. But there was an Expel Maxine Waters resolution. Let's just read. Maxine Waters is um, probably the dumbest member of, I don't know, she used to be the dumbest member. Maybe she's not anymore of Congress. Okay. Whereas in the wake of the Rodney King riots in May 1992, Representative Waters said, quote, if you call it a riot, it sounds like it was just a bunch of crazy people who went out and did bad things for no reason. I maintain it was somewhat understandable, if not acceptable, so I call it a rebellion. Oh, okay. On January 27th, 2017, she told an anti-Iraq war rally, my name is Maxine Waters and I'm not afraid of George Bush. My name is Maxine Waters and I'm not intimidated by Dick Cheney. My name is Maxine Waters and I have to get rid of Rumsfeld. Yeah. Okay. Again, that's pretty mild as well. I wouldn't get upset about that, but if Trump said it, boy, they would. Uh, on October 20th, 2017, Representative Waters told a crowd at an LGBTQ youth gala, quote, with this kind of inspiration, I will go out and I will go and take Trump out tonight. She didn't mean anything but that, I'm sure. June 23rd, 2018, quote, if you see anybody from President Trump's cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline, gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them that they are not welcome anymore, anywhere. Yeah, this is all, um, this is all normal. Uh, okay, September 8th, 2018, quote, I did not threaten Trump constituents and supporters. I do that all the time, but I didn't do it that time. <laughs> oh, thanks, Maxine. Uh, this is the low, that was the low IQ portion of her. Uh, <laughs> someone probably was like, let's just accuse her. I don't know the story, but I could imagine like, she's pretty dumb. Let's just say that she threatened Trump constituents and see if she says not that time. And she did. Uh, all right. Uh, April 17th, 2021. <clears throat> she told violent protesters, quote, we've got to stay on the street. We've got to get them. We've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they know that we mean business. She traveled across state lines to promote and encourage riots that led to violence and community destruction, which is a felony punishable up to five years in prison. She threatened a jury if they did not find a guilty verdict in the trial of Derek Chauvin. Um, I, there's there's a whole, there's more. I, I'll stop reading, but I found that was... I just think that's funny uh, in light of, hey, we reject political violence as a tool. We don't encourage it. Don't we? Don't we, Joe? Tell that to Maxine Waters. Okay. We are still an America that believes in honesty and decency and respect for others. Patriotism, liberty, justice for all, hope, possibilities. We are still at our core a democracy. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like he's just like reciting some, you know, Superman cliches. Liberty, justice for all, apple pie, Americanism, patriotism, liberty. Here's, here's a bunch of words. Hey, do any of these buzzwords make you feel away? I don't know what they mean or care, but 
I'm throwing them out. This is just more low IQ drivel, right? And it's repetition that democracy matters, right? Um, that democracy, democracy, democracy. Biggest lie about America ever. Democracy, democracy, democracy. And yet, history tells us the blind loyalty to a single leader and a willingness to engage in political violence is fatal to democracy. For a long Okay. Uh... <clears throat> As I mentioned, the left no longer really needs a single leader because they don't have that problem because they've captured the institutions. Uh, they did the they did the long march as opposed to the uh, the path of, of Stalin or Hitler or whatever. Um, and now that they're in control, uh, political violence was bad. But of course, it hasn't been bad uh, as long as they didn't feel like they were in control. It was uh, it was normal and encouraged. Um, so, you know. Does history tell us that a blind leader and a willingness to engage in political violence is fatal to democracy? Uh, I don't know, maybe, sure. Um, and I wouldn't encourage anyone to be a, a blind loyalist to Trump, but that's not really the problem, is it? All right. All right, here we go. Long time, we've told ourselves that American democracy is guaranteed, but it's not. We have to defend it. Protect it. Stand up for it. Each and every one of us. That's why tonight I'm asking our nation to come together, unite behind the single purpose of defending our democracy, regardless of your ideology. Okay, so obviously your ideology plays a role in whether you think democracy as such is worth defending. So he's asking you, like, regardless of your ideology, do my ideology. Oh, okay. Uh, thanks, Joe. Um, and also, look, look. if he had said individual rights, I would be on board with this particular part of the speech, right? If, if he said, for a long time, we've told ourselves that American individual rights is guaranteed, but they're not. We have to defend them, protect them, stand up for them, each and every one of us. That's why tonight I'm asking our nation to come together, unite behind the single purpose of defending individual rights, regardless of your ideology. Now, it would be ridiculous to say regardless of your ideology, because... There's a large swath of the country that doesn't believe in individual rights. Their ideology is, is inimical to individual rights. But uh, at least that would be fine. When you throw the word democracy in there, it's like, I don't. <laughs> I'm tired of watching democracies around the world vote for actual socialists. I don't know why that's the thing that we need to defend. I do know why that's what we need to defend, because he wants to move in the direction of progressivism. And unadulterated, unfettered democracy will allow him to do that uh, more easily than say, defending individual rights and the limits of the Constitution. We're all called by duty and conscience to confront extremists who put their own pursuit of power above all else. I've already done my extremist rant. Uh, obviously, this is a mischaracterization. I mean, you could argue that Trump just kind of wants power or whatever. I mean, maybe, I don't know, but uh, not the people that's that are behind him are not pursuing power. I mean, this is not, the, the problem isn't that, and, and I think Biden knows this, by the way, which is why they're scared of, of Trump in particular. The problem isn't that there's like this huge love of Trump as a person 
some people, sure. Um, but the problem for them, the problem for the progressives is there's a large swath of the country that voted for Trump because, as Sam Harris said, uh, they just wanted to tear it down. They wanted to tear down, and I'm one of them. I didn't want to tear down the nation. I wanted to tear down the apparatus of the deep state. Right? I wanted a bull in the China shop. It's not nihilistic. Right? The, the, the argument is that that's nihilism. It's not nihilism. Right? If you're, if you're in a neighborhood controlled by the mob and, you're, and you have an opportunity, someone comes along and they're like, I'll dismantle the apparatus of the mob. And you're like, yeah, that's not nihilism. So anyway, he's, this is a mischaracterization of him, right? We're called by duty and contrast to confront extremists who put their own pursuit of power above all else. Like, okay, that's a throwaway line. It doesn't really mean much in particular here. Let's keep moving. Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we must be stronger, more determined, and more committed to saving American democracy than MAGA Republicans are to destroying American democracy. By the way, mainstream Republicans are mega Republicans, basically, uh, is my understanding, especially since he was the nominee uh, in 2020, and he did get, what was it, 74 million votes. So, yeah, pretty pretty mainstream. Uh, I'm going to use this opportunity again to highlight uh, the difference here when he says destroying American democracy. Uh, I want I want to be clear here. There is a distinction between the American government, the, the state apparatus. This is the entire bureaucracy of all the executive agencies um, and, and all of the, uh, the swamp in Washington and, and that surrounds the ruling class. There's a, there's a difference between that American government and the principles, the idea of America, the, the idea of individual rights um, and liberty. And those two things aren't just different. They are opposed to one another. When you cease to become, you cease to become a patriot when you're willing to support the government if the government is actually attacking the reason that America is good, right? So... You can maybe an obvious example for people who are struggling with this. If you actually did elect, let's say Trump was literally Hitler and you actually elected Hitler and he started doing all these obviously, you know, setting up concentration camps and blah, 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 blah. And he said, well, it's not patriotic. It's, it's, it's not patriotic if you're against me because I'm the legitimately elected leader. The answer is, it's patriotic to oppose you because you have corrupted the idea of the country. You are the, you're the anti-American. And that's where we are now. The people running America, by and large, are the anti-Americans. We, the people, will not let anyone or anything tear us apart. Today, there are dangers around us. We cannot allow to prevail. We hear you've heard it. More and more talk about violence as an acceptable political tool in this country. It's not. 
It can never be an acceptable tool. So I want to say this plain and simple. There is no place for political violence in America, period. None, ever. Except the summer of 2020 uh, and some other times uh, when the left wants it. Look, I, I mean, uh, I mean, this is just he's repeating himself. So I would have to repeat myself in this analogy. He's just repeating the same thing with different, uh, slightly different language, not even that different. Um, but he is clearly he's clearly saying this is an existential threat. Right. He's clearly saying there's a there's a crisis here. There's like violence happening like it's it really seems like he's he's wanting power to do something or other you saw law enforcement brutally attacked on january the 6th we've seen election officials poll workers many of them volunteers of both parties subject to intimidation and death threats and can you believe it fbi agents just doing their job as directed, facing threats to their own lives from their own fellow citizens. Can you believe it? FBI agents doing nothing more than getting faulty information uh, and feeding it into uh, uh, the FISA courts and then, you know, painting a, a false picture of Trump and Russia collusion and, and texting their girlfriend about how we can't let him when, you know, can you believe that? Uh, I can't believe FBI agents just do, they're just doing their job, you know, just like Waco and Ruby Ridge, just doing their job. Why are they, why is everyone upset? They're just doing their job, you know, just like, you know, just like, uh, <clears throat> just like the Stasi. On top of that, there are public figures today, yesterday and the day before predicting and all but calling for mass violence and rioting in the streets. Uh, let's just go back to, it is called uh, House Resolution 327, if you want to look it up. Um, it's sponsored by Marjorie Taylor Greene, and it's called the Expel Maxine Waters Resolution for Incitement of Violence and Rioting in the United States. Um, so, yeah, just, just throw that out there. I don't know if that's the public figure he's talking about. Could be. This is inflammatory. It's dangerous. It's against the rule of law. And we, the people, must say, this is not who we are. Is it against the rule of law? Because he didn't say they were calling for mass violence. He said they were predicting and all but calling. For mass violence so is that against the law i didn't think it was i thought it was protected speech um but hey it's not who we are though unless unless it's maxine waters that it's who she is okay ladies and gentlemen we can't be pro ex uh, pro ex pro insurrectionist and pro-american they're incompatible we can't allow. <laughs> Did you hear that? We can't be pro-insurrectionists and pro-American. They're incompatible. Dear Thomas Jefferson, uh, <laughs> pro-American's not the goal, by the way. 
pro-American ideas, right? Pro the ideas that America was founded on. That's that's moral. Pro-American with complete disregard for the moral status of the American government is is you don't get a moral badge for that. You don't you, you don't get you don't get applause from that from me morally. I support my government no matter what they do. Like, all right, well, you're just not a moral person then. Like, that's, you know, we don't celebrate. I I don't celebrate the founding fathers because they like happen to live geographically in this. I mean, I'm in California now, so I'm not even anywhere near me. But like, happen to live geographically, and we're kind of you're my neighbor, so I support you. I, it's the ideas. If they had established communism. Well, it would have been proto-communism. But if they had established proto-communism, I would be saying what they established sucks. Like, we we need to do something else. But they didn't. It was their ideas that matter. So, again, he want, he's standing here at Independence Hall. He's trying to evoke the, the love of the founding fathers and the love of the ideal uh, of America. Um, and he's trying to get you to conflate it with the current American deep state and, and the current agenda of the American government. And they're not the same thing. They're, they're opposed to one another. Allow violence to be normalized in this country. It's wrong. We have to reject political violence with, with all the moral clarity and conviction this nation can muster now. So I, you know, I will stand by this. If he says we can't allow violence to be normalized in this country it's wrong we have to reject political violence sure let's start with rejecting the violence of the state against us that's where i start because you know saying that we have to comply with your unconstitutional and immoral rules because you have the guns or more of the guns and the majority is on your side or the will of the people is, is what you represent. That doesn't cut it for me. That doesn't mean that you get to have violence. No, that's political violence. You don't get to wield political violence and then tell us we can't. We can't let the integrity of our elections be undermined for that is a path to chaos. Well, look, if you're worried about the election integrity being undermined, maybe close the FBI. Uh, disempower the entire cathedral. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help it. Look, I know politics can be fierce and mean and nasty in America. I get it. I believe in the give and take of politics, in disagreement, in debate, and dissent. We're a big, complicated country. But democracy endures only if we, the people, respect the guardrails of the republic only if we, the people, accept the results of free and fair elections. Only if we, the people, see politics not as total war, but mediation of our differences. Okay, look, uh... <laughs> If you want to respect the guardrails of the republic, repeal everything, every single law and every executive order, 
and disempower every federal agency that's not explicitly authorized uh, by the Constitution. Not not by driving a truck through the the interstate commerce clause and pretending that it applies to everything, but dismantle the unconstitutional apparatus. If you if you care about the guardrail, you can't only care about the guardrails of the 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 republic when it's with respect to quote free and fair elections, which we've already talked about the f- freedom and fairness of the elections. Um, so look, and you know he's also like you know. Hey, don't see politics as a total war, but a mediation of our differences. Okay, well, uh, this is again that the the strategy the leftists have used against the right, and it's, it's the right's fault, right? Because the right has no principles generally, uh, and they don't stick to their principles at all. So they're they're in constant compromise mode, and he's and he likes it. He's like, yeah, it's politics is compromise. I say we should be crazy communists. You say, not so fast. So we don't go as fast towards crazy communism, right? Like there is no compromise. There's no compromise between communism and uh, capitalism. There's not a compromise and there can't be. And the minute that the supposed defenders of capitalism compromise and say, well, a little bit, they've lost. And they may take a few generations, but they've lost and they've normalized compromise. It's one thing that I liked about Ron Paul, one of the few uh, congressmen who, generally just didn't compromise democracy cannot survive when one side believes there are only two outcomes to an election either they win or they were cheated and that's where the MAGA republicans are today (laughs) they don't understand what every patriotic american knows you can't love your country only when you win it's fundamental can't love your country only when you win well uh again and you know you can love the principles of your country whether you win or lose uh but you can't claim to love the principles if you blindly follow the leadership regardless of their adherence to the principles uh or even adherence to the written constitution so okay um I'm going to get bogged down. This is There's still more to go in this speech. I want to wrap this up here. So here we go. American democracy only works only if we choose to respect the rule of law and the institutions that were set up in this chamber behind me. Only if we respect our legitimate political differences. Again, uh, so he's he's reminding you of where he is uh he's trying to get some of that uh, appreciation for america to rub off on him uh and the progressive agenda which he is a representative of at this point um you know he says look it, it only works if we choose to respect the rule of law i've talked about the rule of law i've talked about the corruption of the institutions and how anti-american they are um and the truth is american democracy is not working it is not working it, it is it's broken it is not working to protect individual rights. If any one of the founding fathers parachuted into America in 2022, they would want to start a war. It's not working. No, none of them would say, yeah, this is great. This is exactly what we had in mind when we said, (laughs) you know, when we cared about individual rights and, and, and included the Bill of Rights. None of them. It's not working. 
Should it work? I mean, I, I wish it was working, but it's not. So maybe we should really rethink about when we need to do something drastic. I don't know what it is. I'd prefer that we could do it by voting. Maybe we have to secede. Maybe some states have to secede, as we've talked about in the past. But it's not working. It's working for the ruling class. It's working for all the bureaucrats in Washington. It works fine for them. They love the administrative state. But it's not working. It's not protecting individual rights. It's not doing what the founding fathers set out to do. In fact, it's doing exactly what they were afraid it would end up doing. Exactly. It's become the monster they were worried about. I will not stand by and watch. I will not the will of the American people be overturned by wild conspiracy theories and baseless evidence-based claims of fraud. I will not stand by and watch elections in this country stolen by people who simply refuse to accept that they lost. Well, we've gone over a lot of this already, so I don't want to repeat, but I, I, I will ask a question. How are they stealing the elections? He says he refused to accept... He's, gonna, he's not going to... What He's going to... Um, I'll not stand by and watch elections in this country stolen. What are you talking about? First of all, uh, Biden, I was under the impression that our electoral process was perfectly free and fair, and it's the best it's ever been, and it's there's it's completely legitimate, and anyone who questions it is a conspiracy theorist and an election denier. So what are you talking about, that the elections are being stolen? That's not possible. You told me it's not possible, and I'm not even allowed to ask about it. So what the hell are you talking about? The worst people are doing is making noise, noise that you don't like about their distrust and and the electoral process. Okay, so you don't like it. But again, I think he's teeing something up. Maybe what he's teeing up uh, for here is federal involvement in elections, which, uh, you know, has been a a point of discussion about getting, you know, the federal government more involved in elections and not leading it to states. Maybe that's what he's teeing up to do. I don't know. I will not stand by and watch the most fundamental freedom in this country, the freedom to vote and have your vote counted and be taken from you and the American people. It's not a fundamental freedom, which I think I've done discussion on voting before. uh, So we don't have to get into that, but uh, that's not a fundamental freedom. First of all, Uh, second of all, um, we've already talked about this. Like what, what are you talking about? What do you mean it's taking from taken from people? What are you what are you talking about? I thought you stop questioning the integrity of the American election uh, elections, Mr. Biden. You can't I can't believe that you're an election denier. That's what it seems like. It sounds like you're an election denier and I, you know, I won't stand by and watch you be an election denier, Mr. President. Look, As your president, I will defend our democracy with every fiber of my being, and I'm asking every American to join me. I don't want you to do that. I want you to defend the Constitution with every fiber of your being. I want you to to defend individual rights with every fiber of your being. I I don't want you to defend just democracy. The reason that you'll defend democracy is because you won the culture war. (laughs) So, yeah, you won the culture war. You've, You've captured all the institutions. So... Yeah, of course you're going to defend democracy. Defending democracy is defending your tyranny. That's what it is. Throughout our history, America has often made the greatest progress coming out of some of our darkest moments, like you're hearing that bullhorn. 
I believe we can and must do that again. And we are. MAGA Republicans look at America and see carnage and darkness and despair. They spread fear and lies. Lies told for profit and power. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I feel bad for the, the heckler with the bullhorn because he was just painted at he's he's now part of the darkest moments of American history. <laughs> That's what Biden just said. Throughout our history, America has often made the greatest progress coming out of some of the darkest moments like you're hearing in that bullhorn. This heckler at this particular speech is one of the darkest moments in American history. Mark your calendars. Everyone, what day was it? Was it the, I don't actually remember what day it was. Today's the 7th. So it was like the 1st, probably. Uh, so let's, September 1st, 2022. Uh, it's one of the darkest moments in American history. Uh, okay. So he says also, uh, carnage of darkness and despair. That's just, you know, rhetoric. Fine. They spread in fear lies. Lies told for power and profit. <laughs> I mean, can you pro project much? You mean like Pfizer? <laughs> Pfizer level lies? Or Google level lies? Uh, or Facebook or Twitter level lies? Those kind of lies? COVID lockdown lies? What are they talking about? Who Who is profiting from spreading pro-freedom lies pro or MAGA Republican lies. I, I, I guess maybe there's a couple of webs, websites like promoting some QAnon stuff. That I, like if you want to talk about profit, let's talk about how the largest transfer of wealth from uh, middle America to rich people happened because you destroyed and partly Trump's at fault for this as well. But he, you know, Biden didn't repeal this. You destroyed you destroyed American businesses with your COVID lockdown crap. You destroyed them. And you and you, and I think Trump actually did this, but again, Biden didn't undo it. You, you've got your you're in the hands of the Pfizer's and the Moderna's, where you've got basically you've mandated for large swaths of the population to buy their product. Oh, and also you did that with healthcare. You mandated that people buy healthcare from big insurance companies. So who's spreading lies for power and profit? Who's in power? By the way, uh, the MAGA Republicans... They don't look at America and see carnage and darkness and despair. What they do is they look at America and they see that the leftist ideology is a cancer that has entered the bloodstream. And they're, they're really hoping for some chemo. That's, that's how they look at America. But I see a different America. An America with an... The cancer does see a different America, of course, yes. Unlimited future. An America that's about to take off. I hope you see it as well. Just look around.
I believe we could lift America from the depths of COVID. So we passed the largest economic recovery package since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And today, America's economy is faster, stronger than any other advanced nation in the world. We have more to go. I believe we could build a better America. So we passed the biggest infrastructure investment since President Dwight D. Eisenhower. And we've now embarked on a decade of rebuilding the nation's roads, bridges, highways, ports, water systems, high-speed internet, railroads. I believe we could make America safer. So we passed the most significant gun safety law since President Clinton. What were you saying about the Constitution earlier? I just forgot. I believe we could go from being the highest cost of prescriptions in the world to making prescription drugs and healthcare more affordable. So we passed the most significant healthcare reform since President Obama signed the Affordable Care Act. Lies and profits, damn Republicans. <laughs> I, my favorite part of the Constitution is the part where it says uh, the government can force you to buy health care and completely socialize the health care system. I forget what amendment that is, um, but it's a great one. And, you know, thank you so much, Biden. And I believe we create we could create a clean energy future and save the planet. So we passed the most important climate initiative ever 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 <laughs> i mean yeah the constitution also says that uh I, I like i like that um you can you know you can manage the economy if the temperature might rise slightly in the next hundred years then then capitalism is totally off the table uh so that's good uh -huh. <laughs> i mean I, we could say a lot about any of these topics i just need to move on or we'll be here forever The cynics and the critics tell us nothing can get done, but they're wrong. There is not a single thing America cannot do, not a single thing beyond our capacity if we do it together. It's never easy, but we're proving in America, no matter how long the road, progress does come. First of all, I, who says nothing can get done? Like, it, he's making up villains. Those cynics and critics say that we can't get anything done, but they're wrong. Really? Who said that? I, who are you talking about? And by the way, when he says not a single thing is beyond our capacity, if we do it together, what he means is if we do it through the compulsive force of the state and the government does it. That's what together means. He doesn't mean voluntary cooperation. Uh, you know, I, you know, um, a lot of the talk that, that, that just proceeded, and I think maybe some after this, I don't remember. Um, it's fantasy talk. So um, Nietzsche spoke about this when he, Nietzsche was obviously highly critical of uh, religion and he had uh, his view. We, we don't, I'm not, we're not going to get into Nietzsche's views on morality, but he basically had two views of morality, a master and a slave morality. And, and he kind of said uh, the slave morality is a is a. Um, 
an evolved morality that worked for the preservation, the long-term preservation of religion. And, and he argues that the, that a lot of religious principles are, are parts of this, the slave mentality, the slave morality. Um, but what he says is necessary. This is, it's reminding me of this. What he says is necessary in that case is you end up with um, people who are naturally more of the, they, the master morality kind of resonates with them. And so they resent having to be in this slave morality uh, mindset all the time and they're competent and strong and they want to be leaders. And so they end up as priests. And what one of the things that they do as priests is they, uh, and this is the part that reminds me of what Biden's doing, they paint this uh, fantasy of uh, these are all the things that are going to happen later. This is, these are all the, these are all the great things that are going to happen as a result of adopting the morality that I'm, I'm pushing. Uh, they won't happen now, but don't worry. There's a time in the future. There's a magical day in the future when this will all happen. It will be in the afterlife and blah, blah, blah. Uh, <clears throat> now that's, that's a religious version of this, but you could, you also see this in secularism. You see um, like, <laughs> You know, I mentioned the five-year plans before. Communists were co constantly like, uh, and and actually the Nazis did it too, right? Like, there's this we're we're building this utopia. We just it's, these are all the things that are going to happen. And of course, every time they passed a, a law or like initiated a program, they would celebrate it as if the success had happened. Like, oh look, we're going, yay! We we passed our five-year plan, yay! Like success has happened, and that's what he's doing with all these things. I've passed this law. I've done this. We're going to today. We're funding that. Blah blah blah. Like, okay. None of those results are in. We're not going to see any of the results, but he's selling us on a fantasy. He's telling us to celebrate because he has he's legislated utopia. We just have to sit back and wait. Uh, so that's what it reminds me of. All right, let's keep going. Look, I know the last year, a few years have been tough, but today COVID no longer controls our lives. Quick point, uh, COVID itself had actually very little control. It had some, uh, it did, it had a little control over our lives. What had control over our lives then is the government and they still do. Now they have more, uh, entrenched control over our lives because we have given up more freedoms and accepted that the government has more control over our lives. So, uh, it wasn't COVID, it was the government. Um, he's going to go on into some more propaganda about how everything is great and it will be great. So there's some more fantasy stuff coming up. I'm just going to let it go. More Americans are working than ever. Businesses are growing. Our schools are open. Millions of Americans have been lifted out of poverty. Millions of veterans once exposed to toxic burn pits will now get what they deserve for their families in the compensation. American manufacturing has come alive across the heartland, and the future will be made in America. Is it coming alive across the heartland or the fatherland? I don't know. I just want to make sure he means what he's saying. No matter what the white supremacists and the extremists say, I made a bet on you, the American people, and that bet is paying off. Proving okay. <laughs> First of all, uh, what the white supremacists and extremists? We we just now threw the white supremacists in with the quote MAGA extremists. I think that's what he means. And the MAGA extremists are basically most of the Republicans. Uh, so you're all white supremacists now, 
And apparently they say what? That manufacturing is not coming alive in Der Vaterland? I don't know. What do they say? Like, what a weird, <laughs> no matter what the white supremacists say, what, the three white supremacists that you <laughs> follow incessantly and, and pretend are everyone? I, like, what's he talking about? I have no idea what he's talking about uh, on that. And then he says, I made a bet on you, American people, and that bet is paying off. No, no, Joe. The American people bet on you. You didn't bet on them. They bet on you. You just have a cushy job. This wasn't a, like, you didn't bet on them. <laughs> they bet on you, sort of. Some some of them bet on you. Uh, what? It's just a weird, egotistical thing to say. Okay. Can you imagine? You're the president, and you're telling the people, I bet on you. <laughs> Thanks. from darkness, the darkness of Charlottesville, of COVID, of gun violence, of insurrection, we can see the light. Light is now visible. Light that will guide us forward, not only in words, but in actions, actions for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, for America. <laughs> we see the light, five lights, not four lights. I don't, I don't know what this is just, you know, all this means nothing. Uh, all right, let's keep going. America, even in this moment, with all the challenges we face, I give you my word as a Biden, I've never been more optimistic about America's future. Not because of me, but because of who you are. <laughs> oh, oh, your word as a Biden. Trusted by hookers and Ukrainian oligarchs everywhere. Your word, <laughs> your word as a Biden. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. You know how much that means to me, your word as a Biden? Really? I just... Thank you. We're going to end cancer as we know it. Mark my words. We're what? This is more fantasy crap. We're going to end cancer. Who's we, by the way? I don't, I don't think he's got a pipette in the lab somewhere like, ending cancer. There's no we. If cancer is ended, it's like some small group of smart scientists who devoted their lives to studying some particular thing and ending cancer. And, you know, probably would have done it a lot more quickly if the government wasn't the one dishing out research funding all the time and the pharmaceutical and medical industry weren't intertwined with the government. But, hey, at least it might still happen someday. But there's no we. I don't get to take credit for it. And you certainly don't get to take credit for it, uh, <laughs> Biden. So this is just more. This is just more fantasy crap. Like the lion will lay down with the lamb. Everything's going to be. It's it's Shangri La. Cancer will be cured. Just vote for me. <laughs> We're going to create millions of new jobs in a clean energy economy. We're yeah, never mind the standard of living, gas prices. Although, again, who the hell's we? We're going to create jobs. And when we look at the job balance sheet, we're not going to look at the cost for anything we've done. We're only going to look at a way to justify, hey, we spent this much money and it, quote, created these jobs. And when anyone asks what it costs to do that and what the impact of our behavior, either printing money or taxing or whatever is, we're just going to ignore that half of the balance sheet and then say, yay, victory, we created jobs. I love it. I wish I could do my accounting that way. Thank you. We we're going to think big. We're going to make the 21st century another American century because the world needs us to. 
This is just more fantasy gobbledygook. That's where we need to focus our energy. Not in the past, not on divisive culture wars, not on the politics of grievance, but on a future we can build together. Okay. <laughs> wow. There's a lot in that little sentence. First of all, thank you so much for not being divisive, Joe. Uh, I appreciate you not focusing on the divisive culture wars. Uh, you literally basically won the culture war, but you're still fighting it uh, and saying that, hey, just half the population sucks and they're extremists. That's all. I mean, it's not all of them. Like I said, Liz Cheney's still on my side, but generally, uh, you know, okay. <laughs> okay, let's not focus on divisiveness, Joe. Uh, and then in, then he says, not on the politics of grievance. I'm sorry, the like, like that's a, a core tenant of progressivism. Like that that is grievance studies is progressivism. Like that's like that's a core tenant of progressivism. That's not the grievances aren't those aren't the liberty minded folks or even the MAGA Republicans that are focused on grievances. I'm pretty sure that's you, and I'm pretty sure that the focus on the past is also the progressives, as I've said before, right? We're not the ones uh, rewriting history, a false history, like rewriting history in things like the 1619 Project would have like, totally incorrect and debunked by historians but still pushed everywhere we're not the ones focused on the past we're not the ones who are saying like oh well we would teach math but slavery happened a long time ago and therefore uh you know two plus two is orange because that's what this person wants like we're not the ones focusing on the past and saying it affects everything in the future we're the ones saying can we just move on and be individuals it's the progressives that are focused on the past uh which is why they have to name uh, their movement progressivism so that it sounds like it's not focused on the past but what what a what a projection that that was a that was a real jumble of projections in that that little sentence there the MAGA republicans believe that for them to succeed everyone else has to fail they believe america not like i believe about america uh, i mean that's just a hard no i mean in fact one of the things I pulled up earlier, which I'm going to pull up again here for you to look at, one of number five uh, on my my list of the uh, kind of collectivist versus individualist uh, mentalities, the progressives versus uh, the actual Americans. The progressives believe in the zero sum. They're the ones who think that for someone to succeed, everyone else has to fail. That's why they hate success because they assume that means everyone else failed. That's not the MAGA Republicans, you moron. Or actually, just he's he's not a moron. He knows that's not the MAGA Republicans. He's dishonest. That is 100% projection. That's exactly what they believe. The liberty-minded people that you're trying to tie in with MAGA Republicans, the liberty-minded people, they just want to be left alone. That's all. They just want to be left alone. I believe America is big enough for all of us to succeed. And that is the nation we're building, a nation where no one is left behind. America is big enough for all of us to secede. But Washington just has to get the hell out of our way. That's what needs to happen. I ran for president because I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I still believe that to be true. 
I believe the soul is the breath, the life, and the essence of who we are. The soul is what makes us us. <laughs> well, as long as it's vaguely defined, uh, the soul sounds great. Um, maybe he's going to define it for us, I think, because his thesaurus ran out of uh, <laughs> euphemisms for soul. Here we go. He's going to define it. The soul of America is defined by the sacred proposition that all are created equal in the image of God, that all are entitled to be treated with decency, dignity, and respect, that all deserve justice and a shot at lives of prosperity and consequence, and that democracy, democracy must be defended, for democracy makes all these things possible. Uh, okay, look, I mean, we, we don't have to sort through all these things. Some of those things matter, equal treatment under the law, right? Some of those things don't matter as much. Some of those things are contradictory. Uh, the soul, I mean, I would probably argue the soul is individual sovereignty, um, and which, which a specific version of democracy is intended to preserve. But democracy, 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 like that, that's what makes these things possible. No. No. Uh, democracy doesn't make those things possible. Uh, democracy, a version of it is, is, was attempted to try and preserve some of those things uh, or at least preserve the, the recognition of some of those things, but it's kind of failed. So, And some of those things just don't belong together, right? Like everyone's entitled to be treated with decency. By whom? By, like, by the government? Uh, sure. Well, like what what does that mean right um so there's just a lot of more low iq word salad stuff okay here we go let's we're getting close folks and it's up to us democracy begins and will be preserved and we the people's habits of the heart and our character Optimism that is tested yet endures. Courage that digs deep when we need it. Empathy that fuels democracy. The willingness to see each other, not as enemies, but as fellow Americans. Except for the maggots. <clears throat> Empathy that fuels democracy. I just, yeah, okay. Look, our democracy is imperfect. It always has been. Notwithstanding those folks you hear on the other side there, they're entitled to be outrageous. This is a democracy. But history and common sense. Good manners is nothing they've ever suffered from. <laughs> that was a little ad lib there, if you didn't notice. Uh... He starts to say, but history and common sense, he gets an applause and he's like, they like me. I'll say a thing that I know. Good manners is nothing they've ever suffered from. And then he goes back to his script <clears throat> in a minute after this. Um, also, I don't think he understands what the word notwithstanding means. Democracy is imperfect. It always has been. Notwithstanding those folks you hear on the other side there. Well, that doesn't mean what you think it means, Joe. Okay. He'll, he's going to go back. He did his little ad-libbing. Good manners is nothing they've ever suffered from. He's proud of it. Let's let him continue with his teleprompter. But history and common sense tell us that opportunity, liberty, and justice for all are most likely to come to pass 
in a democracy. <laughs> that actually might be true. But they're not guaranteed to come to pass in a democracy. And a democracy, if that's your focus, certainly doesn't guarantee that those things happen. So, uh, again, it's it's a switching focus, right? <clears throat> democracy being the method to try and achieve the end, the left realizes that democracy can achieve different ends that aren't, weren't the ends of the founding, that intended by the founding fathers. So they're going to focus on democracy because it can achieve the left's ends which is not the point of America. We have never fully realized the aspirations of our founding, but every generation has opened those doors a little bit wider to include more people who have been excluded before. My fellow Americans, America is an idea, the most powerful idea in the history of the world, and it beats in the hearts of the people of this country. It beats in all our hearts. It unites America. It is the American creed, the idea that America guarantees that everyone be treated with dignity. It gives hate no safe harbor. It installs in everyone the belief that no matter where you start in life, there's nothing you can't achieve. That yeah, I don't, I, I guess we shouldn't go into it. It just take too long. Look, it's, I'm a, I'm a broken record on this because he's repeating himself, right? Um, the American creed is is based on individual sovereignty, the idea that individual rights exist a priori to government. Um, like that's that's the thing about America, not uh, you know giving hate no safe harbor. Those are just all nice words, but they're not the essence of what America is. <sighs> That's who we are. That's what we stand for. That's what we believe. And that's precisely what we're doing. Opening doors, creating possibilities, focusing on the future. And we're only just beginning. Soon we'll close doors and open windows and drive cars. Uh, all right. Our task is to make our nation free and fair, just and strong, noble and whole. All right, look, let's just Socrates him for one moment. What do you mean by free? What do you mean by fair? What do you mean by just? What do you mean by strong? What do you mean by noble? What do you mean by whole? What are you talking about? He doesn't care. That's an abstract list. It's a word salad. It's abstract. There's no clarity on the meanings of these things. This language, by the way, the reason to use abstract ideas like this and to throw them out as a jumble like is are free and fair the same thing are they related is just and free the same thing is strong and fair or just what's noble what like is whole like it does whole is whole the same as free is it fair to be whole like none of that stuff means anything he throws it out because you're he's it's like a spray and pray ideological strategy he's going to throw abstract concept concepts out and he hopes that one or two of them resonate with you and you go, oh, I want to be noble and whole or whatever. And whatever that means to you, he's not going to describe what it means because he doesn't care or no. All right, so strap in for some more word salad. Here we go. And this work is the work of democracy, the work of this generation. It is the work of our time for all time. We can't afford to have leave. 70% of the time. He's right 100% of the time. Anyone on the sidelines. 
We need everyone to do their part. So speak up, speak out, get engaged, vote, vote, vote. All right. So this is this is, you know, legitimize the system vote because we own the culture and we love we love the democracy. And if we do our duty, if we do our duty in 2022 and beyond, then ages still to come will say, we, all of us here, we kept the faith. We preserved democracy. We heeded our worst. We, we heeded not our worst instincts, but our better angels. We, we proved that for all its imperfections, America is still the beacon to the world, an ideal to be realized, a promise to be kept. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred, nothing more American. That's our soul. That's who we truly are. And that's who must, we must always be. I, I'm actually not sure what he is saying who we are here. I mean, I've read it a few times. I have it written down. We heeded not our worst instincts that are better angels. America's a beacon to the world, to be an idea to be realized. There's nothing more important, more sacred, nothing more American. There's nothing more American than the idea that Americans are beacon to the world. I'm not sure. Uh, <clears throat> that's our soul. That's who we are. It's okay. Um, if I, by the way, if America is an ideal to be realized, then you fight the American government because it's the exact opposite of not the exact, but it is poisonous to the ideal uh, of America as articulated by the founding fathers. I have no doubt none that this is who we will be and that we'll come together as a nation that will secure our democracy that for the next 200 years we'll have what we had the past 200 years the greatest nation on the face of the earth we just <laughs> i'm just reminded of that line from uh if you ever watch fifth element there's a there's a moment where uh The guys, this is a guy's, the general or something is going to fire a missile. And the president's like, I have a doubt. <laughs> the guy's like, I don't. Uh, I, I do feel like saying to Biden, I have a doubt. I do have a doubt. That doesn't make me uh, nihilistic. It doesn't make me pessimistic. I, I have a doubt that uh, <laughs> for the next 200 years, America will be the greatest nation on the face of the earth. I don't have a doubt that it's possible to save the ideas behind America in some part of the world, perhaps a subset of America, uh, that will survive for 200 years and be a beacon. I just have a doubt that Washington will be the center. <laughs> That's my doubt. And I have a very strong doubt that uh, Biden will be the uh, <laughs> the ancestor to any of that. We need to remember who we are. We are the United States of America. The United States of America. <laughs> He's emphasizing United. United! United! Kill the MAGA Republicans. I mean, uh, United. That's what I meant to say. All right, here we go. This is his last little thing. And may God protect our nation, and may God protect all those who stand watch over our democracy. 
God bless you all. Democracy. Thank you. Democracy. <laughs> That's my favorite. My favorite part of the whole thing is democracy. Thank you. Democracy. All right. Word. Word to you, Biden. <laughs> That's it. I know this was a long episode. I'm sorry. But I did want to go through the whole speech, uh, like I said, because I think it's um, I think it has cultural significance, both in the aesthetics and in the content. Uh, and um, and I did want to talk about the culture war a little bit. And, and this gave me an opportunity to kind of, I think, articulate what I think about when I think about the culture war and um, and really draw the boundaries between the progressives and the I'll just call them the Americans, uh, you know. And again, for if you missed it at the beginning, uh, those are the six uh, kind of pillars, I would say, of the culture, the six uh, aspects of the culture war, um, progressive stuff on the left-hand column, American stuff on the right-hand column. Uh, so go uh, go rewind, and if you're interested in that, go rewind and check it out if you didn't. All right, uh, I, we should shut down here, but let me quickly look through chat. Oh, I should, uh, I should end the poll. So we did a poll in chat. Um, the poll was Biden's speech at Independence Hall reminded you of, there are four choices, Adam Sutler in V for Vendetta, Emperor Palpatine, Alini Riefenstahl film, and The Founding Fathers. Uh, well, the, fa- the, the, the there was one person that looked like early on who voted for The Founding Fathers, but he or she was uh, overwhelmed. So now it's rounding to 0% on The Founding Fathers. So very nice. Um, okay. The winner is Adam Sutler in V for Vendetta. You know, that's what it reminded me most of as well. So uh, that's what I would have said. And uh, 102 votes. So good, good. Uh, I don't I don't see anything in um, the... Uh, I don't see anything in chat that I need to address. I know Greg, Greg the Baritone said I was silent. I know there was a moment... Uh, where I was talking for, but I didn't say anything important. Don't worry <laughs> where the microphone is muted. Also, Alex of all trades. Hey, Alex, Alex is in chat. I didn't realize that. She says, so Hoshel and Warren have both come out as fascists tonight. Uh, that's sweet. You should support when people come out. Um, asking Visa and MasterCard to report firearm purchases to the government. Yeah, and I'm sure <laughs> you don't have to compel them, but if you ask nicely, hey, we are um, the government, and if you don't comply, there's just a little bit of regulation uh, in the financial industry that we could totally come after you for. Uh, I would not be surprised if they do that. So I guess you should start printing your guns, 3D printed guns, and or buy guns with cash. That's the way to do it. <sighs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for um, for sticking with me. This is a much longer show than I expected. As a reminder, uh, I do like to do uh, address from the community. I'm, I'm trying to help uh, – us work our way through some troublesome arguments. So if you have arguments that you're having trouble refuting or arguments that you'd like to make, you're have trouble articulating, let me know in discord or wherever else. And we'll try and work through them on a show, uh, upcoming show sometime soon. We've done a couple of them so far and I'd like to continue doing that. Cause I think it, it makes us all, uh, it makes us all better debaters and it makes us all smarter. Uh, if we can, you know, figure stuff out together. Sometimes I'm, I'm not the best at articulating arguments and, and you guys can jump in and, and correct my errors, but uh, you know, I think it's a good exercise to do together. So if you got any of those, drop them in discord, let me know. An enormous thank you to those of you who continue to support us financially. You can join them by going to unspacedspace.com. You get your name in the credits, you get in discord. Um, oh, also in addition to dangerous thoughts, uh, 
your contribution to Unsafe Space supports other shows. Earlier today, we had a show called Rebel Civics. We do this. That's also every Wednesday. That's with Keith. And he actually introduced something called Rebel Civics Academy, which is um, kind of an evergreen series about topics that uh, kind of basic civics education. And the one that was today was the first in the Rebel Civics Academy series. And it was about the Constitution of the United States. And it was designed so that if you're a teacher, I don't know if you, everyone knows, but there's a Constitution Day is like a federally mandated thing, which is ironic since it's unconstitutional to federally mandate that. And the entire Department of Education is unconstitutional. But anyway, it's a, it's a constitutionally mandated thing. Uh, teachers are supposed to talk about the Constitution. Many of them don't know what to do. This is a course that actually fulfills that requirement. Keith has taught this in schools in Florida before to fulfill that requirement. So um, we're releasing that as the beginning of this series. So uh, if you're in education or know anyone in education, just grab that and go play it in your classroom. Also on Tuesdays, we have 451 Degrees with Alex Maselli. Uh, she talks about big tech and censorship. Mondays, we have Narrative Dissonance with Juliet Dillon and, and me. And uh, tomorrow, every Thursday, we have something for uh, the nerds. And that's Token Minority Report, which is hosted by Beverly and Alex. Also, as a reminder, book club coming up September 25th is The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. Uh, no, it's not a satanic text. Uh, and October 30th, Slaughterhouse-Five uh, by Kurt Vonnegut, hosted by Juliet. So thanks again, everyone. I will see you on Monday for Narrative Dissonance. And uh, Beverly and Alex will see you tomorrow, if you're so inclined, to chat about pop culture on uh, Token Minority Report. Have a good evening, everyone. Take care and democracy. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. It would be better for your health if you forgot what you just heard. That should be easy for someone of your intelligence. The following co-conspirators are hereby ordered to watch CNN. Experts agree that 87,000 new tax collectors will make inflation feel like less of a problem. I think we can agree that the FBI's track record speaks for itself. If you think about it, only government-sanctioned experts should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news.
please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.